Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael, and I'm a mere figment of your imagination. I look forward to once again serve you those conscious coma-inducing vibrations. Oh, yeah. First-time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a very different kind of show, a place where you don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity, live and direct right now on the TuneIn Radio app. Search End of Days, and you'll find the 24-7 network, or go to michaelgeekin.com if you care to interact with me or other listeners in the chat room. Go there now. My guest tonight is Ilana Freeland. She is a writer, ghostwriter, speaker, storyteller, and a teacher who researches and writes on deep state issues, including the stories of survivors of MK Ultra ritual abuse and invasive electromagnetic weapons. She is best known for Chemtrails Harp and the full spectrum dominance of planet Earth. Once again, Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this. Feels great to be back under pale moonlight. I certainly hope you had a great week out there. Please feel free to call in any time. Questions for myself or the guest are welcome. Don't be shy. That number is 760-332-8724. One more time, 760-332-8724. Now, I believe my guest is waiting. Let's bring her in. Hi, Michael. There you are. What's going on, Ilana? Well, I'm here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, and uh, I, I like your intro to your show. It's can you mutual. Can you actually hear me when I do that? Yeah, I oh, heard you. That's not good. I thought I had you on mute. Well, I was being quiet. Yeah, I just didn't want you to hear me saying anything inappropriate. That's all. <laughs> no, you didn't. Okay, perfect, perfect. Because sometimes I tend to do that, so I apologize out there for those who I've offended in the past. <laughs> and uh, tonight we'll be discussing Chemtrails Harp and the Space Fence and directed uh, free energy technology. And uh, for some people, it, it really is difficult to believe that the planet has been weaponized, just like you say in your book. Yes, it has. I'm very sorry to say it myself, but... Um, I have made a careful study of it, and uh, weaponizing is the name of the game now. Everything's being weaponized in the name of full-spectrum dominance. Yes, and before we jump into all these great topics, can you tell the listeners just a little bit about yourself? Well, I, uh, I'm a writer, and um, I was a teacher for years. I was in the Waldorf uh, movement. I'm a student of Rudolf Steiner's philosophy and cosmology um i uh i have written many things i think the first time i ever wrote was when i was eight years old i was writing a short story and my teacher accused me of plagiarism i'll never forget it 
I made that story up, but I was accused of copying it. <laughs> I guess that was the beginning of the writing career. And I've, I've uh, been involved in looking for the secrets behind the American government. Uh, I'm a 60s person. I came of age in the 60s. I had tea with President Kennedy in the Rose Garden when I was 15. I was at Girls Nation. Um, he said something about how I looked like his wife at that time, and um, I became sort of a celebrity just for a few minutes and maybe overnight in my state. And uh, I gave a talk about my time with Kennedy, and then three months later he, he was assassinated. And I... I was invited back to those civic groups to talk again about my day with Kennedy and um, learn the hard way uh, what it is to give a speech in front of people who are all sobbing and breaking down. It's hard to believe that we were so naive uh, back then as a nation, a very different nation from today. Uh, but I have been uh, diligently pursuing knowledge of how things really work uh, in the underbelly, what I call sub rosa, uh, what is hidden in the American government. And um, I, when I started to write the Chemtrails book, I was actually uh, um, asked my, by my publisher if I could write it. And I, uh, I had a file on it. I had a file on HARP, the High Frequency Active Aurora Research Project up in Gakona, Alaska, a big uh, acres and acres of uh, phased array antennas. And um, I had been friends with Clifford Carnicum in northern New Mexico for a few years at that time. Uh, Clifford really, I pretty much blame him for why I'm in this movement so deep, because uh, we, we uh, I, I was very interested in how he was pursuing what was happening to the beautiful blue skies of northern New Mexico at that time. That would have been the late 90s and early 2000s. And he was collecting data uh, from his HEPA filter and uh, precipitation and analyzing it to see just what was in those trails because he knew that they were not contrails. Uh, a contrail will last maybe 30 seconds at the most because it's mainly water vapor and particulates, and it'll just sort of be subsumed into the sky. But these uh, these trails behind the jets at that time were long and, and enduring. They stayed for a long time and then sort of uh, spread out into a strange uh, cirrus cloud cover. Uh, and um, he, he collected uh, samples of my, my um, spit, and of my blood, and we looked at it under the microscope, and lo and behold, there was a fiber, many fibers, and they were actually a creature uh, as he began to analyze it and go deeply into it, um, dissecting and down to, uh, it was very tiny, I don't know really how he did it, and um, discovered what we now call Morgellons, and realized that these fibers were actually being distributed uh, from these jet planes. So um, I've been friends with Clifford all these years, and uh, I got 
really deeply into this uh, pursuit of this knowledge. And uh, people may wonder how how I could know so much. Uh, bec- but, you know, we're in the age of the Internet and uh, particularly for national security issues, which means uh, secret issues. That's what this is. It's not talked about. Now, of course, they're bandying about the term geoengineering and admitting that they may have to do it. They are doing it. But one thing they do not admit is they have been doing it for about 20 years, uh, full on from the sky. We've been subjected to uh, all sorts of chemicals, all sorts of nanoscale entities, uh, biologically engineered uh, all sorts of tiny, tiny computers, microprocessors, tiny right, sensors, right. all released in the upper atmosphere, and we breathe the, all this stuff in because it's all very tiny and we don't see it. And then it goes into our lungs and creates all these lung ailments that everybody complains about. Uh, it then goes into our bloodstream and then uh, easily uh, bypasses the uh, blood-brain barrier goes into our brain. So all of this is being done covertly uh, for a variety of reasons, and that's kind of what the most recent book is about, Under an Ionized Sky, From Chemtrails to Space Fence Lockdown. I try to show how uh, a very technological system that uh, encompasses the entire Earth and above the Earth uh, has been created with us uh, plugged into it and uh, and and the reasons why we've been plugged into it and what the great interest in our responses and reactions to this system uh yes. Yes. why are they so why are these reactions so important and that's pretty much how i've spent the last um, 6 to 8 years yes and you've spent a great significant amount of time putting this together and it's a fantastic book I read most of it, if not all of it, and I thought it was a very interesting read. For those who have not checked it out, please go do so. I'm pretty sure you could find it on Amazon.com and probably other bookstores, correct? Yes, yeah. It, uh, Feral House published it, as it did my previous book, and um, and there are distributorships all over uh, in Europe and, and the Americas. Amazing. Now, why, why is there so much resistance with the Republican Party and conservatives in regards to global warming? I hear the same talking points over and over, and it makes me wonder why Why is there so much resistance over this? Well, um, uh, first of all, I, I don't. I don't know that I agree with you. I, I one of the things I've been very pleased by is that it seems that this is a bipartisan when people really do make the connection to the military industrial intelligence complex. That's a that's a big a big part of it. I mean what you're talking about is uh there is resistance to considering that global warming is even going on. Correct. Uh, but uh I think there's a great deal of confusion, and the mainstream media has been very complicit with those who have sought out confusing the public in order to keep this national security project uh, completely secret. So uh, it, there is global warming going on, as as you know, 
from my vantage point. But uh, my my issue and the way I was seeing um, how some of these people were talking that there is no global warming is uh, they they realized that the Paris Climate Conference uh, and the IPCC that was feeding the stat statistics into the Paris Climate Conference in 2015, uh, it was all bogus and all contrived and made up. A lot of statistics were absolute lies, uh, uh, particularly because they wanted to get the carbon moneymaker going. And that's the big reason that uh, there was all this obfuscation, confusion, uh, wrong data, uh, making people uh, using fear porn to I, get people yeah. to feel that the earth was, you know, ready to collapse and that the, you know, the end times were here, et cetera. It just all this fear porn. Uh, but it wasn't. To my knowledge, it was not just Republicans. It was it was straight across the liberal board. There was a lot of people, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I've never seen any particular faction that uh, either is pro or con uh, as far as our ridiculous two-party system. But I, I believe that what people were saying uh, was accurate. That hey, wait a minute, this is this is uh, bogus. This is not happening. But if you study the technology, like the ionosphere heaters and the all the radar installations that are involved in this. Uh, process going on in our atmosphere, uh, then you realize that, yeah, it is heating. It is a heating factor. Doesn't mean you can't create, uh, icy conditions and, and plummeting temperatures. You absolutely can. It's mainly just the, um, the technology itself is initially warming because you're using mostly microwaves. You're using very high powered microwaves microwaves in order to create the conditions by which weather is manipulated for one thing but weather is only one thing that's being manipulated but let's be very clear uh to my knowledge there is no natural weather anymore not to my knowledge yeah that's a good point it's just fascinating that we have these people that mostly deal with politics talking about an issue that they really don't have too much knowledge in themselves except for talking points and things they hear other people repeat. It, it's quite atrocious. Don't you agree? Well, it is, and it's because it's political. You're absolutely right. Uh, it's not really about astrophysics. It's not really about plasma physics and not geoengineering. It's really about politics. Yeah, and it's Recently, sad. as you know, President Trump uh, appointed a, uh, a space corps. Uh, and before that, he reinstituted something that we used to have uh, called a National Space Council, uh, which has citizens and politicos and tech, uh, scientists, et cetera, on it. So uh, I always make that clear in my talks that I give that we have entered a space age. Let's be under no illusion. And it's not about going to Mars or going to the moon, uh, though I'm sure that those things are, are very interesting to some of the people involved in the space program. Uh, but it is about uh, the first step, which uh, is required to these people. That would be NASA, NOAA, uh, the U.S. Air Force, the, now the new Space Corps, et cetera. All these people, they want full spectrum dominance over planet Earth first. Then we launch into our uh, solar system and perhaps beyond. 
Um, certainly, uh, the fact that our atmosphere is ionized, and probably we should talk a little about that, our atmosphere is now not the same atmosphere that people were breathing even 30 years ago. This is an electrified, plasmaized, battery-ready, antenna-like atmosphere that has been readied uh, in order to obtain full-spectrum dominance over the electromagnetic spectrum of every aspect of life. And that includes our biology, our mentation in our brains, uh, our our planetary uh, life force of the trees and how they take in the carbon and release oxygen, all of this is being, uh, it, it, it is seen that it must be under full control before the space age can uh, go on to something uh, off planet. And, and that's what's going on now. But, it, you know, the problem is, um, to me anyway, it's it's just a secret. It's not being talked about. Yeah. We're not being prepared for it. We haven't been told the truth about some of the fallout and blowback from this technology uh, for life forms here on Earth. So that's that's why I, I was so irritated about it that I I just started writing those books uh, because I want the people to know what our condition is. Yeah, and to know the truth. To take care of ourselves. Definitely, definitely, and I'm glad you decided to write these books. They're fantastic, and I know you also have mentioned uh, former President Reagan's Strategic Defense Initiative, SDI, or Star Wars, whatever whatever people want to call it. Um, I have interviewed Dr. Albert Taylor, who basically evaluated the satellite system designs uh, for this project, and when we were talking off-air, he mentioned certain technology that even he questioned, and this made me wonder, um, well, he didn't exactly say so, but my mind went to directed free energy technology uh, once I was talking to him about the situation in North Korea and if we should ever have any kind of a worry about any outside forces coming in and dropping anything on us since we have this technology. And it seemed like he was very calm and relaxed about this whole situation he seemed like nothing could hurt us. Hmm. It makes well, you wonder, right? Yeah. I mean, the the only thing I can think of that would hurt us is us ourselves. <laughs> I mean, that's, oh, that's really true. what I think of when I think of directed uh, energy weapons. I mean, um, Tesla was all about free energy, but there's been so much misinformation and disinformation around what free energy really is. And um, that's why I have in the book, and you've read most of it, so you know what I'm talking about. In Chapter 2, I, I go very um, uh, surface-wise into three concepts that I don't think you can understand the science that is going on now oh, with plasma, unless right? you understand those concepts. And that would be um, the ether. Uh, and uh, uh, the uh, scalar technology right. and plasma. I mean, these three are what obsess me and what I read about in order to understand, better grasp how they work. Because we're we're living now in a non-Newtonian, uh, non-Einsteinian 
science. And um, that, too, is not being talked about. And um, many, many college programs are still, uh, in, in my mind, uh, to a degree, wasting the time of the bright science minds uh, that believe totally that uh, that Einstein and Newton are still the core of our science when really we have we have moved on to quantum a quantum type of science in uh, looking at a variety of um, of of forms of life and consciousness and uh, parallel dimensions. Yeah, it's interesting uh, you said that because I was going to mention consciousness and it's definitely hard to avoid the implication that. Consciousness and quantum mechanics are definitely linked. Oh yes, uh, and it's it's really easy once you once you begin to think about it. I mean, think about thinking itself. Um, it's not material. It's not a. It's it's not physical. The brain is not producing thoughts. That was another piece of misinformation uh, that people were were sold. And um, when when we have a thought, it's uh, it's in a free space of some sort. It's not even in three space. It's a free space, and that in itself indicates um, a parallel dimension. And uh, I, I really got into this because I studied MK Ultra uh, very deeply for about ten years, um, about twenty years ago, and um, I, I really wanted to understand how mind control had become uh, part of the arsenal uh, used not not merely against external enemies, but against American citizens as well, who were being used and exploited by our so-called intelligence community. So as I studied uh, the experiments that were run in the um, 149 subprojects of MKUltra, uh, some of those subprojects, it, it became very clear to me that uh, that thinking and thought, uh, which are the tools of consciousness, uh, in to my mind, uh, were were not at all uh, physical. Uh, and uh, certainly, the metaphor that I finally struck on that I felt really comfortable with, and I still use it, is the thinking of a diver. And the brain, yes, we need the brain, but the brain is like a diver's diving board. Needs the diving board to make a really decent dive. But the one who decides on the dive itself and makes the dive itself is the diver. So you have the diver, the dive, and the diving board. And that's really how I see the brain playing into this. It's important to have a good brain. I have a good brain. I I like to think I inherited it from my father, who was a a Navy intelligence um, scientist, an inorganic chemist, uh, that was completely exploited, by the way, uh, by Navy intelligence his entire life. Uh, but I, I, I have a good brain, but when I'm thinking, I'm right. very aware that there's a part of me that is now really exploring and kind of moving in free space. And, um, maybe I've, I've, I have a tendency in my research to, uh, make a lot of notes, get a lot of material, go through it all, and put it aside and let it incubate for sometimes weeks, sometimes months, sometimes just days. But that incubation is essential. I don't think about it during that time. It simply goes deep into me in some sort of like a loam in the earth mm. or something. Yeah. And then when I return to those thoughts, 
suddenly uh, over half my work is done for me. Uh, some part of me has has gone through and put made connections, uh, gone a little deeper, uh, seems to really know something about it. Uh, whereas when I put it to bed, I don't, I can't say that I knew much about it. I certainly had done some studying. So to me, consciousness is um, while we're living in this three space world, going about our business, uh, a part of us is living in another dimension. And uh, do I know where that dimension is? Could I go there physically? Well, no, I couldn't. Do I know where it is? Well, I know it's not here, like here, three space. Uh, it is in some other part of our fantastic, extraordinary, complex universe uh, that quantum physics has now uh, allowed us to consider. Uh, and we we don't have to necessarily... Uh, nail it down. Uh, it's sort of like the Heisenberg principle. You know, you can't nail some things down. If you try to nail them down, they change. And suddenly you have something very different from what you started with. So, uh, this, this is all extremely exciting. And, and I'm really thrilled to have finally returned to science. I had a biology background, but I, I have returned full bore to the science of today. Uh, because it is so exciting. A lot of it I don't understand. I'm like anybody. I, I just read through it. I get a few concepts that I can kind of hold on to. And then, um, you know, I make a few notes and then I let the uh, incubation process work. And, um, and slowly but surely I am coming to a, a point where I can grasp a lot of the concepts, uh, that, um, you know, I don't think there's, Many science courses you did, could take in university where you would cover those those concepts. I really don't. I think this is very um, a very esoterically chosen um, science level for global elites uh, scientists. They have uh, pre-chosen to work on on what they want them to work on, whereas the rest of us plebeians, all the masses in our programs. We're simply uh, we're simply told that the Newtonian uh, Einsteinian world is good enough. Um, so there's there's a lot going on uh, that is not seen in the New York Times and and Washington Post or or in National Geographic or all the silly science magazines that they call for science. Uh, th- there's a lot going on and um, and it's up to us to sort of become detectives to ferret out uh, how this Technology is working not just for weather. Weather's easy to figure out how they're doing that, weather engineering. Uh, there are some other things that are not so easy to figure out how they're doing it, but at least, uh, in the book Under an Ionized Sky, I've drawn a, as, as complete a picture as I can of the equipment, uh, the infrastructure needed in order to do all of the wireless uh, operations that the military industrial intelligence complex uh, demands to do in our space age uh, for full spectrum dominance of planet Earth. Yes, and I agree with you about letting those thoughts sort of manifest in their own right, perhaps even letting them marinate, as one would say, before you get that final product and thought in motion. I, I guess that's one way of putting things there. 
And yeah, urinate. That's a good word. Yeah, and, and one other thing before we move on from consciousness, um, I've been thinking myself uh, plenty of times here. What if consciousness is both inside and outside of the brain, or maybe it's a little bit of both? Yeah, I, I don't tend to think it has a place. Um, uh, it it certainly we tend to think it's in the head. Right. That's where I tend to believe it must be in somewhere in the um forehead region but that's the brain um and um i actually can experience thought from my chest uh and um i'm not sure how that works some say gut yeah well that would be instinct or intuition uh and certainly gut would be the word for that uh because i think you've probably been reading about health and the loss of, thereof of health, uh, wherein um, the the gut is completely correlated with the brain. And I studied Chinese medicine for six years, and th- the correlation is absolutely there as well. The the gut and the brain they go together. So yeah, gut level knowing, and then there's uh, what I call what Rudolf Steiner calls etheric thinking, and that's from the heart. And that, that is a very developed uh, thinking, and I'm not saying I'm a master of that, not in the least. But there are times when I can tell that the thinking of my brain uh, has moved into my chest, and now I'm at a, a really uh, a deeper level. And so the reason I, I'm happy with your question about consciousness is I just want to say this in case I don't get back to it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, the consciousness is, uh, you know, I, I'm known as as the the bringer of bad news, right? I mean, I'm talking about a military that is out of control, uh, a, a a a nation that is being run basically by defense corporations, and that includes telecoms, and that includes social media. They all work for the military. The military is the only one with any money, uh, and so um, we're we're kind of stuck in this. But do I have an idea of how we can disentangle ourselves from this uh, to some degree? And that would depend on people's commitment. Yes, and, and I do think it's consciousness. I do think that if we were to, uh, I don't own a cell phone. Uh, I don't own a television, never have, never will. Um, there are certain mind control devices, uh, it, uh, weapons, I call them, uh, that People seem to be very enamored of, and I think uh, I think probably these things, besides being electromagnetic and therefore weakening uh, the body and the life vitality system of the body, the etheric force, if you will, uh, it also is a mind control way of weakening our will, our will to think our own thoughts, to uh, to do. Uh, are to pursue whatever it was that we came into life to do that most of us if you get down to it you'll hear the childhood stories where uh, you know I when I was a child for example people would say well what do you want to be when you grow up little girl <laughs> right and, and I would say I'm going to be a writer and a teacher there was never any doubt I always knew exactly what I was going to do how to get there well that's another story you follow your true will 
Oh yes, yes. And uh and you know, someone like me, yes, I have a very a strong will, but I didn't always have a discipline of it. You know, in the word discipline is disciple. I was not a a good disciple of my uh, of myself for a long time. I had to struggle with myself the same as everyone does. Uh and and so when I say to people that, yeah, I can show you things about what's in your blood-brain barrier, what's gone beyond your blood-brain barrier, right. what's in your blood, what kind of heavy metals are floating around in you that are, are really uh, destroying your health, and I can tell you ideas that we're all coming up with of ways to detox, ways to choose a better lifestyle, eat better, take care of yourself. But really, when it get, we get down to it, we're, we're talking consciousness. And that consciousness is the same consciousness that can have perhaps a fantastic meditative experience. Uh, but it's the same one that uh, is the one that will say, no, you're not going to have half a quart of ice cream every day. Because that's going to destroy your intestinal tract, and that is the seat of your will. So you will not do that. That's the the consciousness that now has the will operant in it. So, you know, consciousness is a lot of things. It and, really is. And yeah. I maintain that it will it will save us. It'll save us on a personal level so that we have a quality of life all the way to the end and aren't running off to the doctor and the hospitals to fix us when we all know that's a joke. Uh it's it's a it's a part of us that is I like to say is basically untapped in most Americans. We're so drawn to the outer world and and the externalities of life and the pleasure principle and the convenience principle and the comfort principle uh, that we really we really don't know much about actual consciousness and being responsible for it. But if we can do that, um, we can have a tremendous quality of life even as we're fighting and contesting this technology that is uh, overtaking us and our offspring and, and our grandchildren and, and the forests of California that are all dying. Oh, yeah. Uh, there are many, many, many things, many challenges, but we have got to have a hold on our consciousness or we will not be able to do much at all. Yeah, that's very true, and I agree with you on all those points. And another thing uh, one must conceive in their minds is letting go of the anger and hate that one has in their hearts. Um, people out there will never be happy unless they let go of that anger. Well, and that's, I'm glad you brought that up, Michael, because that has to do with emotions. And I, you know, I'm not a very emotional person. That's not to say that I suddenly can't be moved by something and I'll start crying, like something that deeply moves me. Right. There is no problem. I have no yes. problem with doing that if it occurs. I'm not repressing anything is what I'm saying. But I am so taken with thinking. And a lot of people learn to hate thinking as they did reading in the terrible, the, the progressively more and more terrible American school system I agree. that taught them to hate uh academics taught them to hate reading uh taught them that thinking is uh is really uh sort of beside the point and what really counts is what you feel what your emotions are uh and i i i do not agree with that emotions to me are like weather they come they go uh you're in a mood 
maybe you give yourself to it and you feel anger or you feel uh, sadness or you feel loneliness or whatever. It, it's a, it's weather. It's weather blowing through. And it certainly should be attended to. It may have some good information for us. But it is not something to cling to and claim that this is us. This is me. Uh, it, it is simply the weather that is blowing through. Uh, whereas our thoughts are um, can be more serious. I don't mean the thought of, uh, I'm going to go to the store and get a quart of milk. I mean the thought that says, well, what is plasma? And why why are our scientists turning our entire sky into plasma? Why are all the clouds now not the clouds of yesteryear of uh, of moisture and partic- particulates, but they are plasma clouds? They are dry clouds. Yes. What do they need that plasma for? So now I'm on an adventure. I'm on an inquiry into uh, just some thoughts, not to say that I'm going to come up with the right, one right answer, but that I am exercising my mind to inquire into my life condition and why these things are going on in my time and my where I am. Uh, this is the kind of consciousness that I, I think people ought to spend more time on that than on whether they like or dislike Trump uh whether you know their friends are pleasing them or displeasing them all of that stuff is really just uh so beside the point of what is significant to one's life i can't even begin to uh comment on it which may oh, be why i'm not much good at it's, small talk it's terrible it, it really is awful i have lost plenty of friends and listeners because of the election <laughs> and the political the, the politics that go on here uh people get mad that i let at times people from the far left come on here and then people that lean more towards the right get upset with me and it, it vice versa. You, you can never win with the audience. Well, and that's what I mean is, is, uh, people don't realize it. If they would think about it, I think they'd see that I'm right. Uh, they have been bamboozled. They have been misled and guided afar by the mainstream media. I agree. Think about it. We just don't know much about what's going on outside our little neighborhood or our family or our little town. Uh, we get that from the media. And we are very fortunate today to be in, uh, in a condition whereby we are not just subject to mainstream media, which uh, has uh, truthfully, and I can doc- I've documented this in my Sub Rosa America books about the CIA and Operation Mockingbird. Our mainstream media, and I'm thinking here of the New York Times, the Washington Post, NBC, CBS, ABC, etc. Uh, they are all controlled by a, 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 an operation called Mockingbird. I agree. Yes, that is a CIA run. So we've had that since the 70s, since the early 70s. For a long, long time, and long time. For for those and, for those, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but for those that are just joining in right now, um, let me bring it full circle really quickly here and. Uh, Elena, I've heard you. Oh my God, what did I just say there? Elana, there we go. Well, that's okay. Elana's, Elana's not too bad. <laughs> I know, I'm like, wait, that's not her name. But yes, I, I've heard you mention, of course, the notion of a full spectrum dominance plan, and I fully believe that there is one. There is certainly an agenda, and we're not a part of it. And like you said, all of this began really with 
the Germans who were the founders of mind control and the human experiments. You could thank uh, Joseph Mengele for, for all of those accomplishments, uh, accomplishments that he had out there in his time. And yeah, and, and to go further, nothing new under the sun, just uh, things evolve over time. And in my honest opinion, the more modern form of mind control is the, uh, the current form of mind control, in my opinion, is through television and the internet, social media, some of yeah. the greatest creations of mankind. And they're used for both good and evil. And it always seems to come down to that, the battle of good versus evil. Yes, and um, I, I certainly am a fan of that. I consider this war that I'm fighting uh, in the geoengineering to be a spiritual uh, battle. And the reason I say that is it's the pro, pro-life, pro those who love nature, which has guided us for uh, for millennia, uh, and uh, and this idea of transhumanism, which seeks to enhance so, so-called our humanity and take take us over and turn us into some sort of uh, BMI, a brain machine interface, or BCI, brain computer interface. Um, this is really uh, on the dock. This is what they want. This is part of the full spectrum dominance. And and to get there, what they have done is taught us to despise thinking, despise analysis, uh, have no confidence in ourselves that we can know what the experts purportedly know, the experts who have been forced to sign non-disclosure agreements, whose families have been um, threatened, who have been killed. Uh, This is our condition. Our scientists are silent. So citizen journalists like myself uh, finally just have to go, whatever, I'm going to write this book. And I'm a really good researcher, so I know how to do research, and I will do the best I can until uh, scientists come forward and have enough of the education of the new science, uh, not the old science particularly, so that they can interpret uh, the uh, what is going on at NASA and uh, and and all of the um, space age oriented. Uh, military industrial intelligence complex. I mean, we have got to have more hands on deck of people who take their courage in their hands uh, and don't worry about their careers or perhaps even their own lives and and really set things straight so that people can have those thought forms in their minds that are close to the truth and on their way to the truth instead of having to wade through constant deceptions and constant manipulation of the emotional uh, in in themselves. Even freedom, uh, even freedom of thought seems to be gone. Oh yes, I've watched it go. My over the goodness, decades. that's amazing. It is, and and I want to add something that I want you to be aware of. Okay. Um, yes, I am opposed to the cell phones, but not not just because of brain cancer. Yeah, let's talk about but that. 4G, cell, correct? Yeah, the cell phones are being used to pulse people. Uh, in their, with emotional signatures. Just as you'll see these shooters that are used, these kids, uh, will be triggered in some way to shoot up a, a high school or wherever they are and then, uh, probably kill themselves. Um, in a very similar manner, but perhaps not as serious, seemingly serious, uh, people who carry their cell phones around 
I'm telling you, they are being pulsed with frequencies that uh, whose uh, of mo- emotional signatures of anger, fear, uh, sadness, uh, all of the emotional panoply. Th- these signatures are known, well known to those who target people. And there are many Americans and people across the world who are being mercilessly targeted by uh, directed energy weapons that have uh, that are uh, taking over their minds, taking over their thoughts, taking over their emotions. And now we're going to join them as soon as that 5G goes up uh, and, and is every um, every couple of hundred yards uh, in a neighborhood. Correct. And we're going to have the Internet of Things, which truthfully we already have, uh, and the 60 hertz in the walls. Uh, and the smart meters and our cell phones, et cetera, et cetera. All of that is going to be grist for the mill of absolute control over our thoughts and emotions. Now this is, yeah. this is how it is. This is not coming in 20 years or 50 years the way you'll read in the lying mainstream media. This is here. And now the 5G will be the culmination because it's millimeter waves. This is not the same creature as a 4G at all. Yeah, and just to add to that, I mentioned the 4G before the 5G, um, really because there there's plenty of studies out there. Some, well, some will say it's pseudoscience. Some will say it's it's a valid study. Um, there's people out there who claim that the Wi-Fi is linked to autism. Oh, well, well yes. Uh, and early that, childhood development, that is. Yes, but along with that, I have to say that um, if you want to be on the right trail of that, yes, it is Wi-Fi, it is wireless technology, but it is also the nanoparticles of aluminum that we have breathed in from what is being uh, spewed from the uh, the uh, combustion chambers of jets and uh, rockets launched uh, rockets launched uh, in the various uh, private and public sector uh, launch pads, this all we are breathing it in. It makes us more conductive, and aluminum is known to be directly uh, correlated with autism. And Alzheimer's. So it's you have everywhere. Autism at the too. beginning of life, Terrible. and Alzheimer's at the end. Yes, and I'm glad you mentioned that. I live in an area uh, called um, the Imperial Valley, and we have lots of agriculture out here, lots of farm, lots of farming, and lots of dirt, lots of desert out here, and lots of crop of crop dusting goes on out here, and a lot of these individuals, they actually crash quite often there there's one almost every there's a couple almost every year out here in El Centro where I live and all these things it it adds up all all these chemtrails you see in the sky out here all the pesticides in the sky out here it it's really not a good place to live out here in the Imperial Valley where I'm at lots of asthma i think it's one in 3 Kids out here grow up having all sorts of terrible lung infections, especially in my area. And it it certainly makes sense. I definitely recall a time when I was outside more and I was getting really sick just being outside. Yeah, I mean, um, what I don't understand is 
if uh let's just think of another war scenario say um you know it's we're in france uh in world war Two, and the germans are are coming in um uh it would behoove us to know how many germans are coming in uh what kind of uh tanks and uh things they have uh what how 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 we're going to defend ourselves how we're going to take care of our children all these things um but we're not doing that regarding this technology i mean it constantly amazes me yes when i go and give talks or i do radio interviews uh there are a lot of people who will play those over and over and over and pay attention to details and then go on to someone else and add a little bit. And there are people who are spending the time because they get what I'm saying. We're at war. I agree. Yeah. And this is not just a matter of, um, of our, of our blood, uh, being spilled and we die. Uh, this is a slow death that we are being subjected to. It is for partially for the profits of the medical industry and big pharma, absolutely. Uh, Monsanto made a, uh, a a deadly seed, the Terminator seed, so that it was aluminum resistant because uh, Monsanto knew what was coming from the sky. They knew it was aluminum nanoparticles. So they made their seed aluminum resistant uh, so that they could uh, have these genetically modified organisms uh and and now uh subject all of us to whatever else is in those gmo foods now i eat organic um some people say well that doesn't matter anymore well it, it does matter uh it is true that when you're growing organic food uh without a covered area you will that that garden will have silt falling of smart dust and uh, aluminum nanoparticles along with strontium, barium, titanium, lithium. I mean, come on. I can name a dozen metals that there, we're eating uh, and, and are, are in our brain. So uh, this is how the battle is being done. It's not bombs dropping. It's a, it's a thin silt. And because this is an invisible warfare, because we can't see the bombs dropping, and we can't see that we're breathing them in and they're going into our blood, beyond our blood brain barrier and into our blood and all of our organs and our soft tissues. Um, it's hard to make it real. See, this is an invisible warfare. Our Wi-Fi is invisible. The radio waves, the microwaves, uh, the gamma waves, you know, maybe you can see a laser. Maybe you can see a laser when it's coming down from a satellite. But basically, this is an invisible war that is guaranteed to make us die slowly so that corporations can profit from our slow death. It seems now, like it. Well, it is Definitely. true. I mean, I I absolutely know that's true. But, uh, but so what do we do? Well, we develop our consciousness. Uh, we begin to look beyond the medical community who will not help you will not help you they do not, they either do not know or they are complicit and realize this is a federal operation and they better keep their mouth shut so you know it's it's very much like the nazi onslaught it's a it's a hidden covert warfare against the people of the united states by our own government by our own government forces i agree so, yes so what we have to do is start inquiring 
and start building a bit, a bit of a lattice work in our minds of how this works. And that's why I wrote the Under an Ionized Sky. Now, you know, people have a very, uh, a lot of people have a lot of trouble concentrating now, a lot of trouble reading. They just can't hold on to those, you know, they read a sentence and suddenly it just, it just evaporates. They, they go off. They yeah. And this is all from the technology we've been subjected to for all these decades. It has it weakened our will. Television puts you in alpha wave. Thinking is beta wave. We need beta wave in order to think. So we're all alpha folks. Our cell phones. How many people do you see staring at that stupid cell phone? Uh, so, I'm addicted uh, to mine. I won't lie to you. And they designed it for that purpose. It's very addictive. Uh, so, so in, we need to, if we're going to fight, uh, and not, you know, be like, oh, Ilana, save us, save us. No, Ilana can't save anyone. I, I'll, I'll be lucky to save myself, but I, <laughs> I can make things clear because I have a very clear mind that I have protected from these technologies all these years. You know, I mean, yes, I'm on my computer a lot. So, I'm already, but I have it surrounded with Wilhelm Reich stuff. I have all sorts of holy hand grenades around it, crystals, you name it. Hey, if someone tells me it works, it's going around my computer because I need to protect myself from the radiation. Yeah, you do. So that I can keep thinking and keep writing to clarify our condition and the context by which this war works. That's That's all I can do. I can't save anyone. Uh, I can't uh, say, oh, yeah, eat this uh, vitamin or this mineral or this, have this three times a day and you'll be fine. It's I, almost, I can't do that. It's almost too late. The nanotechnology, the RFID chips, all of these things are already implemented uh, to further evolve the transhumanist agenda. Well, it is, but it's not too late. No, no, we have. You don't think it's not too late? On- on uh, on getting the nanos out of you, yes, and, and I'll say a name. It's a very hard name. It took me a long time to be able to say it. Tony Pantaloresco in Canada it has Morgellons, and so he has been researching. That's a long name, by the way. It is. It's Italian. Good job. Uh, he has been uh, researching all the different things that will get the nanoparticles out of us. And um, if people get the book, that read carefully Chapter 3 on nanoparticles, the nano revolution. I mean, this went just breezed through Congress. And if I were to say something that is really going to kill us, if we don't learn to get it out of our systems, it is nanoparticles, whether it's aluminum or any other nanoparticle. And our foods have it in it, our clothes have it in it, all the medicines have it in it, toothpaste, uh, cosmetics. I mean, it has gone through the roof. It is a trillion, trillion, trillion dollar business to use nanoparticles. So we need to wake up and start learning how these things work and what will combat them. Because it is not too late, but it is going to be too late if someone is going to wring their hands and wait for someone to come to save them or wait for some big expert on TV or wherever to finally tell the truth. We can't wait for that. We've got to really take hold of this. And that's why I'm talking so much uh, on, on radio shows is I want people to know that uh, it is not too late, but you have got to start now. By the way, 
Speaking of which, you have been all over the place giving interviews and lectures. Do you ever worry for your safety? Have you ever been harassed, Ilana? Yes, I I have been attacked with directed energy weapons a few times, Um, mostly as what I consider I've kind of, you know, I spent 10 years researching for the Sub Rosa America series that is basically a fictional representation of the history of America since Kennedy's assassination. And um, I, I I did spend a lot of time... Uh, By the way, Lana, I'm sorry to cut you off, but was that the catalyst for you? Well, the catalyst for me was Kennedy's death. I mean, that was a huge thing. And then remember, mm-hmm. Martin Luther King was next, and then Robert Kennedy was next. My generation had our three heroes... Uh, Killed. Wiped away. Yes, by the CIA. The CIA was, was a number one. I agree, yes. So, but there were others involved as well. Uh, but anyway, um, that was the beginning of my political life was Kennedy and meeting him in the Rose Garden. Um, uh, but as far as, um, why I spent 10 years researching and 20 years writing the Sub Rosa America series. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I spent 20 years doing that. It I is, was doing a lot of other it, things. It is amazing. Go. But one second there, there. There is another soul here joining us. Did you have a question, Damon? Yes, I do. Um, I'd like to ask your guests if, if the government is allowing the ad companies or work with ad, uh, ad culture companies to change the food so uh, to turn on or turn off different genes in humans to make, like, super um, – Superhumans are like uh, like super soldiers or uh, or like like the X Men's and their stuff just uh, for future wars or anything like that. Yes, I think that uh, the GMO foods are being used for multiple purposes. Um, I don't think they're interested in making us super anything uh, other than good slaves. Uh, but um, as to exactly what is in the GMO foods. To do that, I think it's mainly to turn us away from nature and to put a bulwark up between us and nature. Certainly, they've done well with all the phony foods uh, that people eat and then get very fat from. Uh, it's like a lot of people don't even eat real food anymore. Yeah, they but, get very uh, sick, too. But this this GMO thing is, is very um, – I think you're right that it's genetic, and I think that is the main assault – you know, 27 nations refuse to allow GMOs in beyond their borders. So uh, hopefully that will grow as well. It's only Americans who are, seem to be brain dead. Uh, the, which uh, people in the government or ad companies, which the particular people want to make us slaves by giving uh, the uh, GMO foods and stuff? Because uh, I know you hear like people, we hear people like Alex Jones getting, getting like vague answers like the global elite and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't give solid names like, George W. Bush or George Norrie or George Sinta or whoever. As the, I like to have some hardcore names that you can point the figures to as be this person or that person or 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 George Soros or or whatever. It's like I'm kind of curious uh, where we can, uh, figuratively speaking, uh, rise up against those people and say, heck no, we're not going to take this anymore. Well, I wish it were individuals, but I even even when you bring up a big gun like George W. Bush, or better yet, George H. W. Bush, um, these individuals are also tools of uh, of 
vast uh, organizations that are layered around themselves with various people. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, it's like we hear about George Soros, but Soros himself is a tool. So, uh, so I understand, you know, when people like Alex Jones or, or whoever, uh, are, are, are being very generalist. I think more to the point is what I have discovered is that, uh, key organizations, and that would include the, um, the environmental movement, because I've been, you know, I'm involved in environment now, uh, are co-opted. They are infiltrated and co-opted. And if you study their history, you see that they, they are turned from having been a very ethical organization, uh, into something that is now serving, uh, not serving the people anymore. And that's kind of how I work. I'm looking at, because we are so institution bound. That's just the way our era is. We have so many institutions and Americans have had a great deal of confidence in these institutions and, and all of them are failing us, absolutely failing. And that's because of the infiltration and the co-optation of uh, the, the mission statement, the mandate by which this organization began. Uh, then, then you have the media. Same thing, co-opted. There was a uh, time probably when the New York Times was honest, but it was certainly before my lifetime. Uh, you always say like the different organizations like Montanos and so forth, but they're using the so-called chemtrails to, to basically poison us and try to kill us or make us slaves. But those same people that, uh, say that uh, George uh, Bush 41 says, uh, says we're going to um, have enslaved Americans or slave the Germans or slave whoever. Those same exact same people eat, eat, eat food and stuff. So, one of the things, particularly speaking, killing themselves too, if they say this, give this particular uh, chemical to, uh, to enslave the humans well, have, or the Americans. Uh, so, the 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 but if you look at Bush 41, he's in pretty shitty shape right now because of the health reasons. He's like 90, in his 90s and stuff. But I don't think he can do a whole hell of a lot right now and stuff. So, and so it's like, what do they use that? The same technology to instead of uh, uh make the food better so they can live longer to be supermen or superwomen or stuff instead of having the us to, uh to be a quote unquote slaves since wouldn't it be better to uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Star Trek but have uh, the uh the the, the board of the Dominion make have like stricter like super uh, the other guard would be like super genetically engineered uh troops but to keep them under control they give them a drug called Ketzel White. Wouldn't they be the similar principle for enslaving us? Uh, get us hooked on a particular drug so they can actually control us better than having uh, uh, food and uh, growing the, uh, food in like in the Central Valley of California, for example. Well, um, everything you're mentioning is already going on. I don't know what you're saying. Are you saying you think well, nobody, nobody, nobody's happened? controlling me? Basically, what, what I eat or don't eat or stuff. So. Huh? Nobody's putting, no, nobody's putting that figuratively, put, put that gun towards my head and say, you have to do X, Y, and Z. Oh, you're, so. you're, you're thinking incredibly simplistically. No, uh, believe me, you are influenced. We all are influenced by what's available to us and what the media sell us on. Uh, I find that hard to believe, uh, that you are that free. Uh, I don't think any of us are. Well, I think you're just, uh, enjoying too much of the local weed from, uh, from Washington State. <laughs> My yeah, goodness. Well, yeah. thank you very much, Damon, for that call. Okay. You're welcome. And mahalo to him. 
And yes, going back to uh, your book here, Ilana, before we wrap up the conversation here, you did mention 9-11, and I thought that was fascinating because that was the catalyst for me to my awakening, in my opinion. Um, I was just a kid when all of this happened, and I clearly remember these events, and I also remembered getting in trouble in class for raising my hand later on that that end of the day after listening to teachers talk endlessly about what's going on i raised my hand at uh, the end of the afternoon there and i asked whether or not if it's a possibility that our own government government might have had prior knowledge to this well yeah i i started the entire book out with 911 i mean i didn't just mention it i right yeah <laughs> I started you wrote, the whole yeah. book with 911 yes. because that was, we got to see a directed energy weapon in action. You saw it, it did molecular disintegration of everybody and everything. And, um, Judy Woods, uh, Dr. Judy Woods right. book, Where Did the Towers Go? Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a real fan of the book, not so much of Judy Wood, but I am <laughs> of, of the book because, uh, it, it's a fantastic tour de force about 9-11 and she never once mentions what she what directed energy weapon she thinks it was correct several several ideas and that's good enough have you have you talked to her personally uh i used to email with her Ah, okay she said i was a conspiracy theorist and she wanted nothing to do with me. well that's what i was going to tell you um, I've had the same sort of interaction with her she's everybody a, has yeah she, she's a character uh but that doesn't mean that she has character and that's a, that's a polite way of putting things uh, for this program tonight and uh, by the way we were talking a little bit about energy and tesla and we totally forgot to mention how the LAPD were really the originators for getting this sort of military uh, weaponry the LRAD system the long range acoustic device or as some people refer to them as sound cannons those things are quite amazing. I'm not quite sure. Well, not amazing, but quite atrocious, rather. I'm not quite sure if you've ever had any experience uh, listening to uh, these sort of devices before. No, I've never had an LRAD or an ADS, an oh, active goodness. system against me. But I have you don't had want directed to. energy weapons against me where they took out my sight. They, I was absolutely blind. Oh, no. And they uh, they eventually let me have my vision back when I got the message that they were sending me. Terrible. I had no clue that this happened to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had but, a... F- oh, but I'm fine. I mean, there are people really suffering from being targeted, and I am not in that category yet. It's only been a few times where I've been drawn up short. They don't like the direction I'm going in, so they, they jerk my chain uh, with uh, some sort of, uh, you know, whirly gigs in my vision uh, pain in my chest, like a heart attack kind of thing. Uh, th- they have a variety of, uh, of ways to get your attention, I-, I guess I'd have to say, but it doesn't stop me from doing it, and I actually don't think they want me to stop doing this because, I, you know, ironically, I think I'm doing them a favor by cluing the public into uh, this technology. I definitely think you're doing a great job opening minds out there, and like I've mentioned before, you've been all over the place 
on radio and on the internet giving these discussions, fascinating discussions and lectures, by the way, I must say. And yeah. by the way, um, do you have any sort of new material on the horizon? Well, I am writing the third book in this series, uh, and this I hope this will be the final one. This one is on synthetic biology, and it follows directly from what's in the previous two books. I didn't know when I first wrote the first book uh, that uh, I didn't know a lot of what is in the second book. And now, now that I wrote the second book, I now see that I need to write the third book because <laughs> I see how the synthetic biology follows from this technology and it will give us insight into how the transhumanism is going to be accomplished. I used to wonder to myself, how are they going to get all the people on the planet to be uh, enhanced, as they like to call it? That's a real euphemism. Uh, how are they going to do that? Are they going to get people to come into hospitals, clinics? What? No, no, they're going to do it remotely. Uh, just right now and it's yeah. already we're already being transmuted right now uh genetically uh and uh it, it's it's happening and the gmo foods are part of it and the uh the 4g uh and the and the coming 5g all of this is uh is using the environment as a weapon to uh to change the human beings and uh particularly the coming generations Definitely. With all great technology comes great expo uh, exploitation, rather. And it's, yeah. it's a terrible thing to even conceive. And the one other thing I did want to mention to you was, I know you've talked a lot about the shadow government, or as you would call, the deep state. Mm-hmm. Um, were you always, well, obviously, you were always into politics since you were first Fascinating with fascinated with the whole JFK assassination. Um, I'm just curious to ask you: Do you believe that these people in these groups, the shadow government, the Illuminati, do you think these people are really drinking blood? Oh yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, there have been a few articles recently where they're talking about having the blood of children available uh, to buy to for vitality. Not just the global elite, but it sounds like they're going <clears> to <throat> commercialize it. I mean, you know, a lot of these satanic practices are becoming status quo now. And that's uh, that's kind of how they've done it. This slow boiling frog thing seems to really work where people don't just don't they just don't notice that it's happening. Uh, but their children are, are sexualizing younger um, you know, parents don't know where to draw the line with media and and then to see what the media is doing is, is uh, as the British would say, gobsmacking. Uh, I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, it, and and we call it freedom. Well, I'm not sure it's freedom, uh, but it is. It is somebody trying to get inside the heads of children. That's for sure. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And I I definitely know for a fact that there is lots of child trafficking that goes on. Lots of it occurs out here where I live. I live close to a border town. Well, yeah. this is a border town, rather. But I live perhaps 10 to 12 miles at the most from the yeah. Mexican border. And I know the troubles of what is coming across here. And I've known about it for a long time. So 
it, it's truly a fascinating thing that that is happening. And these are all issues that I have known about for over 10 years now. But now, mm-hmm. th- now they're more mainstream, a lot yeah, more mainstream. Well, but the mainstream, remember, the mainstream media is completely controlled. And oh, um, I never read yes. it. I never read the New York Times unless I have to or the Washington Post. I never watch the TV stations. I'm completely immersed in alternative news. And then I have sort of a technique by which I gauge uh, whether it's something that I can go along with or not. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it, we have a lot more variety today, but you need discernment, you need to have discernment. And this is, this is what, uh, is lacking in people. We, you we sound like, you sound like have, me now, Ilana. Huh? I do? Yes. When I'm talking to, uh, different ske- uh, skeptics out there, these skeptical minded folks, I, I go into this sort of rant where I talk about discernment and how important it is for, uh, those out there listening to our every word to do the homework themselves. Go ahead, Lana. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I, no, you just said it. Uh, it, and it does take an effort. Uh, it, it takes, uh, takes looking at the lifestyle. And, you know, I, I remember a woman saying to me, yeah, but I just can't do without that TV show. Uh, <laughs> oh no. Yeah. You know, there we go. Uh, what can I say? Uh, if you can't do without a TV show, well, we're in dire straits. We're, you. we're enslaved to those 500 channels. <laughs> yeah. We really are. Yeah. And, and there's no, no thinking about how sophisticated these people are who are making these programs to keep you watching, watching, watching. Oh, they know. <laughs> they know what they're doing to get that serotonin, uh, really flooding. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. So, so I just keep representing what I think people should do and, uh, and, you know, some of them take it up, most of them don't. Uh, and that's how it is, uh, in America. You know, it's a, it's a long battle, uh, many battles, uh, long war. Exactly. As long as they could come home in time for their favorite program and favorite dish, then all is happy in the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's certainly, tiresome to think of society and the masses and what humanity has become and the- but it's, it's all i mean i've my whole life has been about this right i mean right, right. i'm a 60s person i've known this stuff for so many years yeah you've been aware and i've been an activist uh, for many years and uh mostly through promulgating uh, ideas in the public giving talks uh, the Waldorf movement, I felt I gave many years, uh, uh, 16 years to the Waldorf movement because I wanted children to have a childhood and I wanted them to be in a classroom where natural materials were used and the imagination was highly respected. Uh, so, you know, I have found a few things that I think are good for people and then I just try to represent those. Uh, and then uh, I eventually will move on to something else, some other aspect of the great giant elephant in the living room. You know, <laughs> yes. go and feel the tail for a while and then feel another part of it. Uh, and, and that's I've been very happy doing that because that's my destiny. That's that's what I came to do. And and uh, and and I I don't get attached. I don't get attached. I don't get upset with people because they have been the objects of experiments by sophisticated PhDs since the 50s and and the Nazis, you know, the paperclip Nazis. Yes. I mean, you know, those were very bright men, and they knew exactly what they were doing. I, I, for one, feel the Third Reich moved here, 
and we are now facing fascism and uh and it's time to wake up and do something or uh or just lie down and let them have it that's right that's ilanafreeland.com ladies and gentlemen author of under an ionized sky from chemtrails to Space Fence Lockdown, and I do want to thank you tremendously for being a part of the program, Ilana. You've been a joy to talk to. Oh, great, Michael. Thanks so much for the freewheeling uh, openness and expansion of the program. Oh, my goodness, yes. But before I do let you go, I want to let you um, just say a few things if you'd like the final word before I let you part ways here. Well, just to... Uh my my prayer and my hope is that people will really consider what consciousness is it is a lot more than just meditating or uh or or praying it's uh, it's living life in a way where you're inquiring and really looking into things and becoming responsible for your time for your nation for what is going on here um this is this is what true freedom is it is not free from it's the freedom to uh, be an adult and take responsibility. As I always say, uh, this is my watch and I will keep it. Amazing. Well, I do want to thank you once again for being a part of the program and I will definitely talk to you again in the very near future. All right. Bye, Michael. All right, Ilana. Take care and good night. And there she goes, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you did like that discussion. And when I return, the second guest will join us here live and direct. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. And welcome back to the program. Hello, everybody. How's it going? This is Michael Deacon, and we are indeed live right now on the TuneIn Radio app. Search End of Days, and you'll find the 24-7 network. Also, hello to the Fringe FM network out there rebroadcasting this. Hello to those lovely souls out there. Now, here we are on the final stretch of the program. This is where we let her hair down, and get right into all sorts of things. I certainly do appreciate all of you out there for being here with me tonight. I love seeing all those pretty faces out there, and even the ugly ones. We are all one. That number is 760-332-8724. Don't just sit there behind your keyboards or mobile devices. Put them to use. Call in with your thoughts and opinions anytime. I'd love to talk to you. Now let's bring on the next soul. Nathan, are you alive? Yes, I am. Thanks for having me on. Fantastic. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? Amazing. I'm doing amazing. I can't complain. Doing good. That's awesome. Always nice. Having a great time. Yeah, having a great time doing the program here. And I'm just fascinated with the photos you took and... Uh, that sketch you did, I want to talk about all these great things. But before we do, can you tell the listeners a few things about yourself, Nathan? Yeah, well, my name's uh, Nathan Tafoya, or Nathaniel Tafoya is my full name. Um, I was born and raised in Southern California, and I currently reside in Utah now. I'm a, I'm a contactee, and I've been in contact with extraterrestrials ever since I was a little boy. And even to this day, man, it's pretty much going on for the, you know, as long as I'm here on earth. So, um, but you know, this was, uh, something that was with me pretty much 
I believe, since birth. Yeah. Uh, but my first recalling memory was about at the age of two with the physical interaction with some extraterrestrials. That's amazing. And uh, Nathan, you don't recall or do you recall the first time you actually saw perhaps lights in the sky or perhaps a visitor at the end of your bed? Which one was it, Nathan? Um, well, the first recalling encounter was a physical uh, interaction between two uh, gray entities. I call them the wise grays, and I made some illustrations for you. Uh, of some different beings that I've encountered. There's quite a few. Um, but these uh, wise greys, what I would call, they have, uh, they're a little different um, because they're not the typical greys that you'd be accustomed to in seeing in, like, movies and artwork and photos and stuff like that, uh, which I have definitely encountered. That's They're there quite a bit of the time during my uh physical contact experiences, but these uh, were two what I refer to as wise grays. They're a form of gray, but I don't know exactly where they come from. I never really asked them that. It it didn't seem important. Um, But these two individuals uh, uh, came in my room. I was playing, you know, being really young at the age of two, I was playing with, like, blocks and my stuffed animals and, and stuff like that, tinker toys and all that when I was really little. And I was in my room in Torrance, California. That's where I was born. And these two uh, wise grays, they have these purple robes with like a gold trim around the hood and through the center of the robe. They, they appeared through my walls. So they just kind of, uh, how can I put it in a better terms? They just, uh, basically materialized through the wall. It wasn't like a hundred percent full materialization. It was almost like Yes. Uh almost like it was like a holographic image, but then it started to become more materialized. And so I was in my room and these two gray uh wise grays came into my room and this was my first ever uh conscious experience that I had. It was, it was quite neat because... Yeah. Um, By the way, how, you know, how old were you, Nathan, when this happened, if you don't mind me asking? I was two years old. Damn. And you recall this at, at two years old. Oh, I, I have a really good memory. I can remember my first doctor's sh- shot, my first haircut. So you have you have the mind of an elephant. You remember uh, everything. I, I don't know how an elephant thinks, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's that's incredible. But, yeah, I, I've talked to plenty of people out there who recall these very early experiences, some would even say traumatic experiences. And prior to these incidents in your life, were, were you, well, at two years old, you, you really have no prior insight to any sort of alien uh, UFO sort of agenda in your in your mind at that time. You're... Consciousness is pretty much absent of any of these sort of things, so it's kind of pointless for me to even ask you if you were even influenced by anything um, outside of this. But, yes, go on. My goodness. Well, I'll, I'll explain uh, about it because they had communi- well, they communicate telepathically. So um, we had a, actually a conversation. Um, so 
well, I can kind of go into detail because I re- so as I become older, I start getting more of this download and this information that comes to surface over time. And, but, so when I was at the age of two, I didn't know any differently. I thought this was completely normal. You know what I mean? I mean, what two year old or, you know, even young child at that age that's new to the, new to this life, you know, doesn't know any differently. So it wasn't startling. It wasn't frightening or anything like that. If anything, the bond between the two wise grays and I felt like family. And that's how I've always felt throughout my whole entire contacts. And maybe to back it up just a little bit further, and I think maybe there's a reason involved in all these contact experiences because, first of all, my mother had a really difficult time to conceive children. I'm her only child. Understood. Uh, Understood. She she tried having children multiple times and just couldn't couldn't have children. Couldn't so happen. she went to her primary care physician, and you know uh, he even said you know her body anatomy makes it very difficult for her to conceive children. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like her blessing in a sense. And, you know, I'm glad to be a part of here. But um, to be murder, uh, you know, a little bit more in depth is uh, during life experiences and, and stuff like that. You know, I'm 38 years old, but I feel a lot older and wiser inside. You're an old and, soul. But yeah, I think I've had a lot of life experience, not just here on Earth, but... Maybe a past life. Past lives on different planets, possibly. I, yeah. I don't know. I've never done any regression hypnosis or anything like that. By the way, Nathan, have you ever told your, or asked your mother, rather, if perhaps she ever experienced anything of this nature? Uh, many times before those who have been uh, contacted or abducted to a certain degree, usually their parents have had the same experience, rather. Yeah, I've, I've talked to her about things. She's seen, you know, a, a couple things, but nothing to the extent of uh, of what I've gone through. Uh, same with my father. I've talked to him, and he's had a couple experiences, but I don't know as far as what lines it goes down to. I think this is more, from my feeling and my communication with him, this is something, so at the age of two, well, well, for instance, my mom, she could uh, basically, if you've heard of astral travel, she could basically jump out of her body and travel whenever she wanted. And as a young kid, she'd always tell her mom this, and her mom's like, you can't say anything about this in public or anything like that because people will think you're nuts. And they actually took her when she was really young to uh, a specialist to find out, you know, if she was you know, had some type of disorder or something like that, and the doctor said, no, she's completely fine. She's completely healthy, yeah, and uh, this yeah. is what's interesting to me, that lots of people that have been abducted or contacted to a certain degree, okay. um, these individuals, they possess more of this ESP type of ability, this extraterrestrial consciousness ability, I'd like to label it as. Uh, they're more, I guess, susceptible to astral project and have more of lucid dreams or even even have even precognition yeah and I, I do experience that yeah see what i mean right well I'll, I'll t- and i'll tell you about that uh, about that asia too so um during that time when we were 
interacting and playing together, not like playing with toys, but this was like a, a telepathic communication and download. So the reason why they came down was to check on me to see if I was okay. And immediately when they were interacting with me, it was like I've known them for a very long time, so that's why I consider them family. And um, I think this was part of my agreement uh, and my life experience here on Earth was to um, take part in this experience and and pick my parents as well, um, but also to interact with with a lot of people. But so what what took place there was they were checking on me to make sure that I was okay and seeing how everything was going. Um, during this conversation, they were telling me the importance of why they were here, not just to check on me to make sure I was okay, but to let me know that. Uh, during my life here on earth that I will be encountering uh, them quite often throughout my life, pretty much until the day I, I move on to the next life cycle. But they were trying to let me know that I have these abilities to be able to be telepathic, which I really do. And uh, to all your listeners and everybody, everybody has the ability to be telepathic. It's just something that's not exercised within normal society. But it's really easy to be able to understand how it works. So everybody has what's called an inner voice. So if you were to say your name without saying it aloud, you can hear it yourself. So there's a few different ways how telepathy works. Uh, You can use your inner voice. You can also use that inner voice, but use emotion and feeling behind that and project it outwards, and that's a form of telepathy. So, like, anytime we get frustrated or anything like that, we don't speak out loud because we might not want to offend somebody. We're using that telepathic sense, but we're directing it at ourselves. We've never really been taught how to project it outwards, And, and people aren't susceptible to understanding and receiving that form of communication just because it's not been properly, uh, you know, used and, and practiced on a regular basis. So that was something that they informed me of uh, during this visitation that, you know, I had the ability to reach out to them and communicate with them and also receive communications through channeling messages and, and downloads and all that stuff because, that's how telepathy works. It's fascinating, really. I'm not sure if you get this yourself, but sometimes I'll have an issue or a problem that I'm trying to solve, and I can't really figure out the proper route to take the the proper answer with, rather. And out of nowhere, sometimes I'll just get the answer out of nowhere, almost like a download. And that happens, and believe it or not, the way... How you may feel frustrated or you can't find the answer and you're, sometimes these entities, it may not be extraterrestrial, uh, it could be interdimensional or your spirit guide or, or whatnot. I mean, to be honest with you, anything paranormal, extraterrestrial, ghosts, uh, interdimensional entities, your spirit guides, they all work in conjunction with similar frequencies. So, um there's no separation between any of those. I mean, and I can go into further detail, but I think that might um, 
you know, that could be a later conversation because I, I really do have tons of information for people. But um, so to be back on, or if you have a question, feel free to say something. Oh, go ahead. Um, but so during this conversation uh, at the age of two, my grandmother, my mom's mom, was visiting from the state of Utah because both of my parents were born and raised out here in Utah. Um, so she was visiting. And the weird thing about this interaction and it, that was taking place in my room was it seemed to last for a very long time. But the weird part about it was my mother wasn't going down the hallway to check on me in my room, nor was my grandmother. And during this conversation, they were telling me, you know, that I'm going to be having a lot of interactions with them. And this, I've had so many physical interactions, it's not even funny. Who, I mean, by the way, who were these, uh, these, these entities? Where were they from that they tell you? You know, at the age of two, I didn't even. Oh, well, you, okay, you were two. Of that. So, right. I, I mean, so, and that's also the thing. It seemed like a long time, but I don't. At what two-year-old or even five, five or seven-year-old has the the aspect of time? I, I mean, my seven-year-old son thinks five minutes is five seconds, you know. But I mean, you don't really get that relation of the time better. And, right. The better so. question would be: Are these entities the ones who first abducted you, or are they still currently in communication with you? Yeah, they are, and I I really don't like the word abduction because. I find it abrasive. I mean, it's just a commonality, uh, common term that the UFOlogy community has used. This was, uh, you know, it's never been against my will. Um, Correct. Yes. But, um, you know, I, it, you know, it's more like taken aboard or, or invited. That's that's kind of how it is. But and and we'll get further into that. But so what had taken place when this interaction was going on. It seemed like for a little bit, but my mother and my grandmother wasn't walking down the hall to check on me, see if I was okay. Um, so I asked them a specific question because my grandma was really important to me. So I, I asked them telepathically, I said, is it okay if I introduce you to my grandma? So I walked into the kitchen and that's where they were. They were, they were cooking dinner for that evening and it was later on in the afternoon i don't know what time it was i couldn't even comprehend you know time at that point in time but so it, it was weird when i walked in there it was like they were just so occupied on doing that it, it seemed like out of the ordinary it's like i walked in there and i like nudged them and then they finally were like coherent of me being there and i'm like grandma I need to introduce you to my friends. And so, you know, and I could talk fairly decent at a, at a two-year-old. I, I think I was a little bit, you know, above average as a two-year-old, even though I I uh, have severe dyslexia. Um, but so I grabbed my grandmother and said, come here, I want to introduce you to my friends. So she's like, okay. So I grabbed her hand and I walked her into my room. Wow. And um, when we got in there, I said, you see my friends? They're right over here at the wall. Uh, by my crib area. And so she looks in, she's like, I don't see my, uh, I don't see him anywhere. Um, but here's the thing. When I asked them to do that, they gave me this specific message and it was a child's mind and consciousness is a lot stronger than it is as an adult. So they might not see what you see. And so and the reason 
the, this message didn't really resonate or make sense at the time. I said, okay, well, I'm going to grab her anyway. And the way I look at it now as an adult, and maybe you guys can reflect on this, is when you're a child, you don't have your blinders on. You're open to every little thing in this world. It's it's like the most clarity that you'll have entering this life is when you're a little child. You don't have any inabilities to uh, think outside the box. I mean, you're you're there willing to experience everything. You think you can do everything. You have the fondness of an imagination. Everything's limitless. So I understand that. And if people are wanting to make contact, which I can also help guide people on how to do that, but maybe not everybody would be ready to do that, or it might not be the time for them to do that. And I can explain that too. But though, if you reflect back on your childhood and you think about that, if you have a child's mind when you're wanting to communicate with either the other side, extraterrestrials, your spirit guides or anything like that, I would suggest all the audience members and people out there that are open to this have that child's mindset where you're free, you don't have any limitations, you're willing to understand that you do have this ability to um, experience this, but it's up to that individual to have full clarity and not put any hindering on their ability to achieve something. Um, so I think that's important. So that was kind of what took place at the age of two. They were telling me that I was going to have interactions. They had that profound message, which now I finally, it really resonates and makes a lot of sense. And I don't know if that makes sense to you, but it makes a lot of sense to me. It totally does, actually. It's fascinating that you went through all these sort of things, and it reminds me to ask you if perhaps you experienced maybe something that would be considered paranormal, anything of that nature. Did you see any kind of apparitions at all growing up or in your uh, late to early adulthood, rather? Yeah, well, that that was just my first interaction with the the wise gray extraterrestrials, the first time I met them. So let, let me skip to about age four, because this is kind of like a little paramount stage in my development years. So I didn't really have a lot of contact time until about age five, but here's what took place about age four. At the age of four, I had a really big internal contemplation going on through uh, my thoughts. And this thought that was continuing to repeat itself for a little while when I was four, I mean, it, it lasted for a while. I started having confusion about my real parents if they were my real parents, if you know what I mean. Like, I didn't feel like they were my real family. Um and I think that's kind of a complex thought process for a four-year-old to have. But this is something that I was internalizing and trying to figure out because, you know, I knew they were my real family, you know, being born from them, but they didn't feel like a family at that point in time. I was still, like, in this processing stage of trying to figure things out. Like, I could recognize the physical side, but I didn't feel like, I was always loved and I really had a strong bond with my family, but there was something that just didn't sit well at the yeah. time. Like it feel like they were my real family. So that's, that's interesting. Why I, yes. You definitely I, feel, you definitely feel like you're not from here, don't you? 
Uh, yeah, I do. I, I, this, this body and everything feels really heavy. Right. And to be honest with you, I, I you know, I, I love every human being and everything, but I think there's a lot of, uh, wasted time and emotions on, on stupid things. And that's just kind of our environment and our society, how we've been brought up. Um, there's a lot more to life, um, if you have an open heart and an open mind to, do good and do love, you know. And, yeah, I tell and, people all the it's time. All, it's all about service to others. It's never right. about service to self. I tell people all the time to let go of that anger and hate that they harnessed in their hearts. You're never well, going to be happy in life. Honestly, that all that emotion and stuff is internalized with with an individual. It's not with, you know, it can be incorporated with other people, but it's usually about first you have to love yourself before you can love somebody else. Um, that's true but so that's what happened at the age of four and during that you know from two three four i after that two-year-old interaction you know things weren't really happening with the extraterrestrials until about the age of five and this is when a heck of a lot more physical interactions uh started to occur so how these interactions would occur it was always like in the middle of the night. Um, I would get this internal telepathic message or feeling or voice inside me. And it was almost like someone plucking guitar strings. You know, you could just feel what it was saying. And um, they would say, you know, it's time to wake up. It's time to go. And as soon as that, I would get that message, I'd be up. And the next thing I would have would be like sometimes three or five Gray extraterrestrials. Now, these are the typical grays that you see on the Internet and stuff like that. And I've actually drawn a picture of a, a gray entity, and it's got, like, a moon in the background. I like um, it, yeah. That's a that, great That's a great photo. Thank you. Um, but that's um, – those are what I consider the worker bees. Um, so there's different forms of contact. Like, those wise grays, those – from the age of two, those were like an immediate contact source. Those were like the uh, people that I would actually communicate with aboard the craft and through interactions. Same with the tall whites. I have a group of uh, extraterrestrials that I drew, and there's some symbols up on the top uh, right-hand corner that I remember seeing in the craft and through stuff, and I'll explain that. But um, so these worker grays, they initiate the contact experience when you're in a physical state. So, um, so what they do is, you know, when I get this internal message, it wasn't for, for those grays that were surrounding me by my bed, the three to five of them. This was from, uh, the tall white being that I have in the drawing, uh, sometimes a mantis being or those wise grays. And, um, so that's where the internal communication through telepathy would work was with the main contact source. So aboard a craft or during these physical interactions, you have what are called the worker grays or what I call them, the worker grays. And they all have specific roles, not a lot of interaction telepathically with them at all. They're just there to assist you boarding the craft. So that's what they would do is, you know, I get this message, they'd be around me. Next thing I know, it's like, a blank slate. I don't remember it until I'm on the craft. So I don't know what took place. If I was 
Uh, I don't know how I got aboard the craft, but I was on the craft. And so what they would do is they, you know, they would initiate that contact and get me aboard the craft. And then they would direct me to my contact source. Uh, most, most of the time it was the tall white or the wise gray and, and a couple interactions with the mantid type beings. Not a lot through them. By the way, um, in your illustration, it seems like you're hiding behind the door in the drawing there. Yeah, and and that's an experience that I had at the age of 14, and we'll get into that really quick. Oh, but my so, God. Go ahead. Sorry. So, um, no, that's okay. Um, so what took place was um, when I was aboard the craft about, uh, you know, from age 5 to about age 8, this was a learning process for me. This was to enhance my uh, telepathic communication skills that, I kind of was naturally born with. They also told me a lot about um, how I could read energies in the room, which I really can. Like I can go into different environments and feel energy, like if it's weighted down or if it's lively up. I can feel tension easily. It's like cutting a knife. I don't even have to know the person. I can walk into an area and I can tell if there's tension already without even observing the people in there. I can just feel that energy. And also another thing that's actually been really successful, well, really neat for me and successful in my career life is being able to um, understand a person's true intent and who they really are within the first 10 to 15 seconds of knowing them. You sound like me now. I well, I do those calls all the time, and I, I unfortunately I seem to have a track record on that. Well, it, it's neat because I can – I can call someone's BS right off the bat before uh, they even, you know, too. and I, I can't really explain on um, to teach somebody that. It's just something that you can't, you can't teach that. That's something you, you really cannot teach. Um, but so they were talking to me, you know, they were you know, kind of enhancing the stuff that I naturally had and, but more of the telepathic stuff and, and kind of letting me know that I could, Still energies and stuff like that. And I've had like some, uh, you know, future premonitions of, of certain things that have taken place throughout my life. Um, so they were talking to me about that, but a lot of it was, um, these, these worker B grays, uh, would be instructed by the, this tall white, which is the one with the blue eyes and it's kind of luminescent white. Um, that was a lot of main contact source with that individual extraterrestrial. Um, and they would escort, they, he would direct these worker grays and, and have them escort me into this area of the craft where these almost holographic screens would, would come into play. And my job, this was a learning experience. So this is where the symbols come in. So I would, be standing in front of the screen and these symbols, um, I would have to learn these symbols because each symbol had uh, a meaning behind the symbols. So I had to learn that. And for the life of me, I remember the symbols, but I don't know what they mean. It Maybe it will be activated at a later time, but as of right now, I can't remember what they are, uh, what the meanings behind them are, but I remember the actual symbol itself, and that's why I have drawn a couple of those on that diagram, too. Yes, and so, great drawings, by the way. Well, thank you. Got to praise you uh, again. I, I really liked uh, these drawings here. Do you have Do you have any more, by the way? 
Um, I'm creating more of the ones that I, so it's kind of hard for, to be honest with you, when I start drawing like things from my experience, there's a lot of emotional stuff that goes on with drawing it. Like that's another, that's another question I was going to ask you actually. And it goes back to a, a calendar that I saw when I was about 10, 12 years old when I was in, I think I might've been in San Diego. I, I forget what store I was in, but there was some sort of calendar and it was showing people uh being abducted. And I know you don't like that word, but no, it's okay. they were showing people being taken from their bedrooms and you would see them on these medical exam examining rooms rather. And, mm-hmm. uh, and there was like a, a pre warning uh, to this calendar that said people that have had these experiences will experience some sort of traumatic sort of, uh, some sort of episode, it said. And I'm, I'm th- I was thinking about that, uh, before bringing you on. If perhaps some of these things perhaps trigger maybe some sort of memory in your mind and that we're getting that answer now. Yeah. So, you know, when I was really young, like at the age of two and stuff, it wasn't like anything to be afraid of. But as I became older, and my blinders started to develop a little bit. I started to get introduced to like scary things, you know, like when I was five, me and my friends would dress up in our Halloween costume. Sure. And, and play hide and go seek at, at nighttime with the lights all turned off and we'd play hide and go seek that way. And, you know, I started getting introduced to that. And I think at the age of five was the first time I saw my first scary movie, which is the check, the Texas chainsaw mask. Oh, my, excellent. My mother yeah. was like, total anti, uh, you know, horror films or anything like that. She didn't want me to have anything to do with that. By the way, were, so, were you, were you, um, raised in a religious household rather? No, I wasn't. My, my so my mother was raised LDS and then she ah, quickly, okay. she quickly got out of that religion because right, right. of some things that didn't sit right with her as a young kid. They really, uh, put her on the spot and she wanted nothing to do with that. You gotta be My really, dad, you gotta be really uh, careful in terms of religion, uh, nowadays. If, I mean, I can't speak for myself, but I have friends who are fathers and the, the whole, how do you introduce religion to your child sort of conversation does get brought up, uh, to me. And I, I'm always thinking, well, I don't have a kid. I can't really make that call for you, but it is interesting. Uh, to, well, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't even force that upon my son. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, and that's kind of the environment how I was growing up. I mean, my dad was, uh, you know, Catholic as a young little boy. I think he was born into it. I think a lot of individuals don't have a choice. They're kind of born into it. You know yeah, what I mean? And it's kind of expected amongst that family and, and that experience. So, uh, you know, my parents were really... And I thank them for that, for allowing me to choose my own path as far as what I wanted to believe in. Yeah, to have that freedom of thought. You know, later on in my life, I did uh, decide to get baptized as Christian, but it wasn't to join the Christian church. This whole part of me doing that was for the personal relationship. Uh, You know, I, I believe in Jesus Christ, but there's... I believe in source or, or if you want to call it God or, you know, the creator, that's my real relationship. 
I, I still have a relationship with Christ, but, um, you know, there's a lot more of that. And uh, I've been getting more spiritually upgraded throughout my life, too, especially recently. But um, uh, to get back on track, so, I, yes. you know, I was learning about the um, the symbols and stuff, and I was also learning about mental focused energy. So they would also take me aboard. Uh, you know, when I was in the craft learning the stuff on the screens with the symbols, um, there was also another exercise where I'd have to do, like, focused energy, applying my mental thoughts and projecting them and actually moving, like, an orb and stuff like that. They would want to see me move it from an area to another area and back and forth. Now, it's weird because I remember doing that, but I have no abilities here on earth to be able to bend a spoon or anything like that. And this has to do with the frequency of the craft and everything like that. Um, and, and their technology, which I can't even explain because I don't even understand it. But, um, so that's kind of what took place. But also during these images on the screen, they would actually have me be looking at different outcomes of earth. So I would see it in its like flourish state. And then I would see it start to deplete from natural disasters, pollution, uh, nuclear war, all this kind of scenarios. They wanted to see how my emotional reaction would be to see these certain events take place during this imaging on this holographic type screen. And that was a troubling time for me to see that because I saw, you know, our home starting to get depleted from pollution. I saw wars outbreak from people, nuclear explosions, bad earthquakes, volcanoes, tornadoes, hurricanes, you name it. I mean, they put it there. And this was to see how my emotional response would be during this. And this happened from like about the age from five to eight. And mind you, at this time, I had never, ever once told my parents what was going on. During this time, the first time I ever mentioned anything, and this was because my at the age of eight, my mom um, bought the book Communion by Whitley Strieber, and I'm sure you're familiar with the cover art. Certainly, yeah. So I had walked downstairs, and I noticed her reading this book. Me immediately. I got very upset with her. I said, you need to get that book out of the house right now. I don't want it in here. Throw it away. Get it out. And I was really upset with her. And she's like, what is wrong with you? It's just a book. I'm like, I don't like it. I don't want it in the house. And she's like, why don't you like it? I said, it's because what's on the cover of that book, I don't want it in here. And this was like the first time where I started to get, you know, a little bit more fear based in that. Not that any experience was ever negative but if you can only imagine being woken up in the middle of the night saying it's time to go and then as soon as you open up your eyes you have three to five gray extraterrestrial beings in your room how do you respond to that it's not like they just knock on your door ring the doorbell and say we're here it's time to go it's it may seem intrusive for that experience but when you're dealing with uh with entities that can alter time and space and gravity and stuff like that. They can go through different, uh, what I call a, a lot of people will say interdimensional. I, I say transdimensional because they can 
jump from one dimension to the another or, or, or whatnot. And I think that's more of the proper term than interdimensional because interdimensional to me sounds like they're stuck in a certain dimension where, you know, they can't really move into the, the, a different density. So, um, so that started to take place and my mom's like, why are you so upset? I said, it's because of that. What's on the front of the book? I don't like it. I don't want it in the house. So she started to say, what's going on? Why are you feeling this way? And I said, mom, I just don't want it in the house. She's like, no, tell me why. I said, because they keep visiting me. And she's like, why do they keep visiting you? And at, at the age, of, I said, I don't know. They just keep visiting me. And I couldn't put anything to word, in, into words at the age of eight to be like what I'm telling you now. It just, you know, it was just something that happened. I couldn't control it. I didn't know when it was going to happen. Sometimes it would happen, you know, four nights in a row, and then it would stop for a couple days, and then another three nights in a row, and then it would stop for a month, and then next thing you know, it's another couple days. I mean, this went on from, like, age five all the way up to about age uh, 15. And so that's the first time I ever really told my mom about that, and I was very limited on what I said because I couldn't really put it into words. And I mean, so a little you? bit later, she bought me this book called The Boy from the UFO, which I found kind of weird. And this book's a fish, uh, fictional-based book, but I don't know how the author put it in there, but when you have physical experiences, and maybe some of your listeners are contactees or have had these encounters, I don't know, but... And, you know, I would encourage you, if you have questions, ask me. I'm here. I'm an open book. This is why I'm doing it. I'm new to sharing my experiences to the world. And the reason I'm doing this is because I've had a lot of time to digest and understand what's taking place in my life and how beneficial it is because it's a transition to a transformational stage. And so it's all positive, but it's very difficult. To right. Undergo. Right. And by the way, you what what did, what did you refer to this sort of multi-dimensional travel that these grays do? You you referred it to refer to it as something else right now. Transdimensional. Tran. Okay. Okay. That's what you said. And it's interesting that you did say that because there are strange um, hidden portals in uh, in the Earth's magnetic field. By the way. This has already been confirmed by NASA a long time ago, except that they refer to it as uh, X-points. Or ley lines or something like that. Electron diffusion regions, rather. And yeah. These things are very unpredictable, but they do exist, and they open and close uh, unexpectedly. And perhaps your gray friends there, maybe they have some sort of technology to hone in on this sort of ability uh, that has them jumping in and out of um, your room there. Well, see, the weird thing about that, so, like, at the age of five, my parents built this house in uh, Tribuco Canyon, California. Um, it's in Orange County. Uh, if you guys want to look it up on Google Maps, it's, it's a beautiful place, one. Orange County. Huh? It's a beautiful location, Orange County. Oh, yeah. Um, the address is number one Windy Ridge Road, and it looks like a castle. It's a really cool house, but we built this house from ground up. We had this guy that actually designed the pool that had designed all the rock work for the Indiana Jones ride. Oh, wow. And my, my dad was in the telecommunications industry when I was growing up, so mm. I, he did really well financially. Um, 
but my parents got a divorce um and and that kind of goes into you know as i was getting older you know i i noticed you know when i was when my parents were separated my dad was kind of doing his thing when he was divorced and you know so i'd be at home all the time riding my dirt bikes with my friends i mean we had huge area of property i grew up racing dirt bikes and surfing and all that kind of sounds stuff. like a pretty good childhood then oh man i had an awesome childhood. Had a great time I would, yeah yeah, I, I wish I could give my son that type of childhood, but he has a pretty good one, just not all the, all the cool toys. Well, he has some, a lot of toys, but not like dirt bikes or anything yet. Maybe he doesn't really but, need dirt bikes though. Oh, out here in Utah, we got tons of riding area. It's a big desert out here. Oh, well, you're in Utah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we built this big house and that's where that drawing comes into play where I'm hiding behind the door. And I'm, I'm glad you picked that up. So. Yeah, let's you know. talk about that because I mean, yeah. there is a clear fear of that indication by drawing yourself behind that door. Well, I'll tell you the whole story. And I, so this was like an actual, like full on conscious recalling event. I mean, I was alert and I was awake when this happened. So at about the age of 14 is when I met my first girlfriend. And we were dating for a couple of years. So, um, <clears throat> you know, by, by the age of 15, I had my driver's permit, but I didn't have my driver's license. So the way that we would be able to see each other was either her dad would drop, you know, her parents would drop her off at my house or my parents would pick her up and we'd go to the beach or I'd go hang out with her or whatnot. But a lot of our communication was over the phone. So and I don't know if you noticed in that picture, but the phone's on the bed. Oh, yes, yes. Off the hook. So, so it was about, I would say about 12 or 1230 at night. And we would talk all hours of the night, you know, and we would actually sometimes fall asleep on the phone, on the phone just because right. we'd be up all night long talking. Yeah. So it was about 12 o'clock at night and, um, we were talking and I, and I think she was either dozed off or what had took place. They had, done something to where she couldn't hear anything or anything like that. But what what took place at that time is I was talking to her and I was kind of nodding off a little bit, but I was still awake. And I said, wait a second, I hear my friends coming up on their dirt bikes in the middle of the night. And I, I, I said, hold on real quick. I'm going to see if, you know, they're going to be coming up the hill because I thought I heard dirt bikes coming up, but it wasn't getting any louder. It was like a low pitch hum, but I could hear like dirt bikes coming up the hill. So I put the phone down on the bed and I walked um, to the door and my door was closed. As soon as I grabbed the door handle, the door handle started opening up on itself. Now this, this is weird. And this is where that mental projection stuff on the craft that I was talking about. I didn't hear like any hands grab the door handle. It just started opening up. So I didn't, hear any contact from that door handle being opened. It just started, I could see that handle starting to twist and the door slowly starting to open up. And so the way my room, and I get goosebumps every time I, I talk about this, because I mean, it was really, it was intense. It, it, it was scary. And it wasn't bad or anything. It was just, I didn't expect this to happen because this wasn't a normal way of things to really occur usually it was in the middle of the night when i would uh 
be woken up by this internal voice saying, you know, it's time to wake up and time to go. So as that door started to open up, I saw these four long gray fingers wrap around the the door. And as it was pushing open, my automatic reaction was to hide behind the door. And the way my room was set up, it kind of had like this contoured, like little quarter moon shape that when I was young, I'd hide behind that because I could open up the door all the way and I'd be totally, um, you know, covered by the door It'd when it was fully open so right. no one could see you until they finally found out my spot. <laughs> so, yeah. That's you know, and so that was my, auto, my automatic reaction was to hide behind the door because I was shocked, you know, saw the door opening up right when I was grabbing the handle and I've never experienced that whatsoever. That's scary. All the, yeah, scary. And then on top of it, I saw these four long grayish white fingers wrap around the door as the door's opening up. And I don't know if you've ever been so scared in your life where you try to scream out loud, but nothing comes out. That's exactly what happened. Like I tried to scream as loud as I could as soon as I saw three, those three extraterrestrials walk in the room. And this wasn't, was a, like, and this wasn't a, and this wasn't a dream, by the way, correct? Oh, no, it was full on, full on me getting off the bed, walking to the door. This was no dream whatsoever. So as they came in the room, <clears throat> I tried to scream. Nothing came out. It was like they paralyzed my vocal cords so nothing could come out. And my dad was sleeping in his bedroom. And I mean, it was, you know, 12, 1230 at night. And as soon as I started to scream, that's when they grabbed my arm. They grabbed my left arm first and then my right arm, and I froze, but I was trying to push back. I was resisting this whole experience when they grabbed me. Like, I was so in shock because I didn't get any communication at this point. It was just, like, a random event that wasn't kind of consistent with all the other experiences that I had, you know, growing up. It seems like it seems like they're very forceful. No, it wasn't forceful at all. I was the one who was being trying to force them to to resist, you know, to resist. I didn't I was scared, you know. I didn't know how to how to cope with that at the time because it wasn't like something like relatively um just like waking up from a sleep and then being surrounded and then next thing you're on the craft, this was like them entering my room as I'm walking out the door to go see if my friends are coming up on the dirt bikes. But this was all, all that sound I believe was put into my auditory system to think uh, that they yeah. were coming up. I see. And so they grabbed me and I tried to push back. The next thing I know is I'm sitting upright on my bed, completely sweaty, pins and needles from my head to my toes, my whole body, like my whole body fell asleep. And I was, my whole body was vibrating. My phone was down on the bed. It's now three o'clock in the morning. So I had a lot of missing time in like, I was in my bed and I was awake and I was sitting upright. Like, I don't remember how I got on my bed. I'm freaking out. I'm like, shaking and vibrate, you know, have this vibration filling with all this pins and needles. I'm sweating profusely and I'm freaking out because <clears throat> what seemed just like two seconds ago, I was at the door 
And I remember these beings coming, these extraterrestrial grays coming in my room and grabbing me. And I don't have any recollection of that time within that time period at when it was three o'clock in the morning. So I, so my first thing that I did was I ran, I turned on every single light in my room, my stereo, my Nintendo, my TV, and I'm sitting there freaking out. You know, I'm trying to, you know, gain composure. It took me literally like an hour and a half to finally settle down to like fall asleep. And here's the weird thing is like, as soon as I fell asleep, I had a dream state contact. And this is how most of my continued contacts have occurred is through either a channeling message, um, dream state contact, or the UFO sightings that I've seen. And a lot of my dream state contacts actually feel physical, so I can't really decipher either of them. But so as soon as I fell asleep, instantly I had this had the communication with that tall white in the picture that I drew. And it was like I was walking down this tunnel or this corridor, and it seemed like it was underground or something like that. And this, and the tall white appeared in my dream and he said to me, he's like, I'm very, he was very like empathetic and, and trying to, you know, show me as much love. And I felt that. And he said, I'm really sorry for you being so distraught and upset about this, uh, you know, and, and freaking out because they didn't, they didn't know I was still awake or they didn't have that. You know, because it was late at night. Usually I would fall asleep really early, like 10 o'clock at night. But they said to me, they said, this is going to be, a, you know, it's going to be a while before you have physical contact again. Uh, and the reason for this being is it's time for us to stop doing this right now because you need time to process this information as you develop as an adult. And that was my last recalling physical interaction that I had. And the reason they said this was is because that was my adolescent stage. So, you know, when you're growing up and, and everybody's experienced that, that's, you know, older, is when you reflect back on certain ages that you were, you have this different mindset. And so this was all for me to digest and absorb and, and take in, you know, to see how I was going to take this you know, growing up into my adult years, was I going to put this in a fear-based environment for myself where I would be afraid of them and do that? Now, granted, I'll tell you this to be honest with you. When If anybody has ever had physical interactions with an ET, I don't know, I don't know many people that do or have really honestly came out. And anybody that I ever talked, try to communicate with a, as a contactee or someone that's been abducted, I do never get one response from those individuals, ever. The only person that I can say that I actually talk to and communicate with is Robert Vandenbroek. And he's really legitimate, so he's very, he's a real deal too. And it's, it's frustrating because when you have these experiences, it's hard to, um, share this with others because there's a lot of, um, negative criticism through different peers and stuff like that. They think you're making stories up. Yeah, they think you're crazy. crazy. Right. 
I've done a few radio shows now, and I've and I've seen comments, and people will put some pretty sometimes negative stuff on there. And the nice thing about, and I actually have, uh, you know, sharing my experiences more in de- detail. I just barely put out on YouTube, so um, you can check it out at Nathaniel Tafoy if you type that in on YouTube, and um, you should see those two videos. And I'm going to put a lot more in there, but. Um, so, but I get a, sometimes I get criticism for that, but I have no problem, uh, you know, commenting back and then I never see a negative comment back there ever after I comment because I'm not going to be like, you know, your typical researcher or anything like that. Not saying that they're bad, but they have, they think they have all this all figured out and they do all this legwork and research, but the people that really understand what's really going on are the, people that are experiencing this phenomenon and these experiences with these extraterrestrials. Yeah, I agree with you on that. So, I mean, when you're, um, when you're in physical presence with, uh, you know, an extraterrestrial, it's overwhelming. It, it's normal to be afraid and it's, and I'll tell you the reason why you feel afraid. It's because you're dealing with a different frequency of energy. I mean, it's not like communicating with a human. You're dealing with a different entity that <clears throat> has a way different way of communicating, which ultimately when, when you're in their presence, their energetic field is a lot more intensive. Um, the way they project things, the way they look at you, and and you and you look in their eyes they know more about you than you even know about yourself and you can you cannot lie to them because they already know exactly everything about you as soon as they look into your eyes yeah it's very interesting and, um MIT created a, a special headset that allows you to communicate with a computer system basically by simply thinking what you want to say. It's basically reading your mind without even opening your mouth. Kind of sounds like telepathy. It's it's called coherent thought sequencing is basically what it is. Yeah, it picks up the neuromuscular signals. But, so, I mean, when you're dealing with that, it's natural to become afraid. I mean, it's it's literally like undergoing every single type of emotion you could go through all at one point in time. So it's really overwhelming. Very overwhelming. That's exactly what it sounds like. Very overwhelming. And a lot of this, and maybe you've interviewed a few people that have had a lot of experiences, but you'll notice even with myself, I still have a lot of blocked areas that I can't remember everything. I remember details of certain experiences and more pop up, you know, at the right time as, as I'm able to, you know, it's like they unlock certain things when, when they feel it's important for me to know it. But I mean, with that missing time from like 1230 to three o'clock, I still don't remember what had taken place. Um, but in kind of move back when I was an adolescent from my teen years, this is when physical scans and stuff started taking place. Um, this is when they were more interested. Uh, you know, I had learned everything that I needed to know about telepathy and I'm, uh, in, in energetics and, and, uh, thought projection and, 
and mental projection and stuff with objects. Um, but when I was an adolescent, this is when the physical um, checkups on my anatomy and stuff like that, I, um, you know, I remember at times, you know, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have these marks on my body like uh, blood vessels being popped or uh, like a reddish mark on my arms or on my back, on my inner thigh. Um, you know, and it was, and it wasn't abrasive. I actually recently, I was going to send you a drawing, but it was on a paper towel because I was at work. And so I'm a bus operator. I, I drive public transportation for the state of Utah and I was on my break and I just started to sketch and I, you know, a lot of people ask me, how do you, how do you, uh, jot down this stuff? Do you keep it in a journal or anything like that? I, I, I told you before that I have a really keen memory and I have a photographic memory. So I can go way back. I can remember things full detail. Anytime I talk about these experiences, it's like it happened two seconds ago. It's how vivid and everything is. It's like I relive that second every time I bring up the conversations or anything like that. I, I remember, you know, certain parts of it, like clear as day. Definitely. Um, so I drew this picture, and the reason I didn't do it because it was a quick little sketch, and and all those pictures were actually really quick. I could go into really good detail, but um, I did an interview on Dr. J Radio, my first real interview, and uh, he asked me if I could get some pictures together, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll draw some up. So I drew all those up in, in one day, like really quick, and did those for the show. Um, but so this one drawing that I had, I was in the craft, and I had – five of these worker bee grays around me, and I had two of these tall whites, but they were in rugs. One was a female, and the other one was a male, and they were looking at me while I was laying on the table, and this is where they were doing the body scan, and I believe they were also taking sperm and stuff like that because, and I don't really talk about this at all. It's kind of embarrassing, but I do remember having intercourse or what seemed like, it it seemed like a dream, but it, it felt real. Um, but I had intercourse with these two females and this is before I even had sex. This is the first and, time I've ever heard of any of these things actually having a gender. Um, well, there are, there are male and female. So, um, but, um, yeah, I don't ever really talk about that at all because it's kind of embarrassing, but. Yeah, so at a young age, I remember having sex, and I, I think part of that was is you hear about hybrids, you know, hybrids and stuff like that. Right, right. And I think, uh, you know, my sperm was taking and maybe having intercourse with two female extraterrestrials that looked human, uh, and this was like kind of like a weird lucid <laughs> dream that was taking place in my bedroom, not aboard the craft. Um, but I, I don't know, but I think I've probably, you know, contributed to some, some of the hybrids. And you talked about, uh, if you're familiar with Dr. David Jacobs. Certainly. Uh, he's very into this, um, the hybrids. Yeah, he's into this conclusion that the hybrid race is going to take over humanity. Not the case. Um, I find it uh, neat to be a part of that if 
That truly is, and that's my my gut feeling, my intuition. I think that I've contributed to that. That's what it seems to be, especially with the physical analysis on my body and stuff like that. I, I believe that there are probably hybrid offspring of mine out there that I've never encountered. Were you probed by any chance? Uh, no probing. Um, Thank God. No anal probing. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I had marks on my body, like blood vessels, uh, like um, bruising and stuff like that, and different marks on my body. So, I mean, <clears throat> but I don't remember a lot, a lot of, like, the actual procedures. Um, but they do have, what I do remember is they have, like, uh, this, like, wand, metal rod or wand type thing that they can go over your body and it's like a scan. It's really weird. It's, it, it's, they just kind of like hovered above your body and it, it does some type of scan or something like that. And it's not really, uh, like physically intrusive into your, your flesh or anything like that. Um, but I remember that. And, and what I was going to say is about having, you know, maybe partaking in this hybridization, uh, aspect of things is I actually feel honored to have that if if that is true but that's my gut feeling to be a part of that because it's like a whole nother evolutionary step in life and it's neat to think that I could more than likely be a part of that now I probably could have the answers for me if I've done hypnosis regression but I've been hesitant on it because it's hard to trust another person and I don't want someone to put false memories in my experiences because they're all personal and, and they're important. Understood. So I, and, and Nathan, I, I hate to do this, but we definitely are running out of time here. So I, yeah. I do want to just jump a little bit here, jump into a yeah. portal rather. And yeah, I, I want you to tell me a little bit about. Um, perhaps some of the things that you're experiencing in the current age, some of these UFO photos you took, um, can we go over that? Yeah, so um, those UFOs photos that I took, um, these are crafts that I can call in. And um, so what I, what I do is I go into kind of this telepathic communication and, First, I set up myself. I it, I really have to go into detail to explain how to do it because everybody can do it. It just takes time and practice. Um, but what I do is I call in these crafts. I project the telepathic communication out, and I you know I'll go into a quiet area where uh, you know where there's not a lot of light pollution or or people around. I'll go out into the mountains or something like that and and call in these crafts. And so, you know, this goes back to, you know, when I was younger, how I had the ability to communicate and stuff like that. So I do a mental projection of where I'm located that current time. And I ask them, you know, with honest intentions and a pure heart and, and just to come out and say hello. And those crafts that I've took that are on, uh, that you're seeing, those are some of the crafts that have came into play. Um, 
and some materialize fully like that disc one that I have that's in black and white. I put a black and white filter on there so it's a little bit more visible to see, but there's also a colored one where you can see the grayish of that saucer-type craft. Um, there's another one that's kind of like a boomerang shape. It's blue. That one's not fully materialized. That's uh, when they're kind of in what I would refer to as a light ship. It's not fully materialized. It's producing light of the craft. But no, I get I get these in, um, and when I I call them in, I I don't do it all the time because it's it's actually exhausting to do. So. And sometimes I'm not fully centered, so I don't feel like I can really give a clear projection. And and I do a lot of communicating. Um, I I try to set it up as much as I can when I when I feel that my energy is at its highest level and and I'm I'm, I'm grounded and I'm clear. And so I'll get that and um, I'll get channeling messages. I get a lot of vivid dream state interactions and contacts and in weird stuff like that. But a lot of, a lot of like vibrational stuff with my body lately. Like, um, you know, I work odd hours, so I'll go to sleep and, uh, you know, I'll take a nap at work and, um, you know, while I'm napping, all of a sudden I get like what I felt, um, when I woke up in, in my bed after that physical interaction where I was hiding behind the door with those grays and taking aboard the craft. Um, well, at least that's what I kind of recall. I believe that happened. Amazing. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I get these full body vibrations when I'm asleep and it, and it feels like I'm, uh, there's a presence in the room, but I can't physically see it. So I, and I know that they're always with me, um, all the time. Like I, so one thing that I see on a regular basis are like these shadow beings or these dark shadows that walk, walk really fast across my, my house in like the downstairs basement or I could be out in public and I'll see this like person or, or apparition that's like a dark shadow just street past me or something like that. So I get, I get weird things like that and that happens on a regular basis. My goodness, there's so much yes. to talk about here. But yeah, I mean, I have a lot to share. So I mean, I would hope that maybe we could continue this. Definitely, and, we'll have to do I'd this. Because I like, I mean, if people are really wanting not just to know about my story, but I can give people the insight on how to communicate and how to make contact. Um, I can go into further detail about the type of contacts and what kind of contacts there are, uh, because there's all different types. There's channeling, there's dream state, there's physical contact, um, there's uh, energetic contact. I mean, there's a lot that's involved in different types of contact. Uh, one thing that I was going to mention to you uh, about, like, fruition and stuff like that, seeing, like, an event happen, so... Um, when I was a teenager, I had this good friend named Jason Lerbecki, and he's passed away. But the weird thing about it, before he died, I knew he was going to die. I was told that he was going to die when we were hanging out. And he was one of my friends that we had this rivalry with each other. We were kind of 
sometimes at each other. So we'd always compete, and I don't know why it was. You know, we used to race dirt bikes and stuff like that. And, you know, I grew up riding dirt bikes at a very young age, at the age of five, and even still to this day. And uh, he would always try to push his level, and I'm like, Jason, you gotta, you got to tone it down. You're just not at that skill level, not, like, trying to be rude or mean, but, like, I didn't want him to hurt himself. And uh, so, but we were hanging out one day, and all of a sudden I just got, like, this feeling. I'm like, he's going to die one day, and I know this. And the last time we hung out, which was, like, a few later years down the road, um, we hung out one night, and he had talked to me, and he's like, you know what, I'm really sorry if I was a jerk to you when we hung out. I'm like, it's okay, man, we're friends. You know, it's no big deal. And uh, we're hanging out, and he ended up uh, drinking and driving and got ejected out of the car. When I went home that night, I got a call first thing in the morning saying, hey, you know what, Jason died. And I just started to, like, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, no, that didn't happen. We just hung out. But I knew he was going to pass away, and I didn't know how to explain that. And I I wasn't going to tell him that, you know. That's amazing. Yeah, some weird stuff. Like, I don't know, I've been getting a lot of, like, uh, like intuitions of things, like with things happening. Like I, I just recently did an interview, uh, with, uh, Tom from Free the Cosmos and I don't want to, you know, take away your audience from there, but, uh, he was talking about some of my dream state contact and this was, uh, you know, some events that were happening in my dreams and I was getting these dreams of volcanoes happening a lot in my dreams, like the last little bit. And that was right before, um, Kilauea went all crazy and stuff in Hawaii, but it was weird. Like, I didn't, like, announce that there was going to be a volcano, but it was just kind of a weird synchronicity. Like, I was having all these volcano dreams, and then all of a sudden Hawaii had this huge volcano eruption going on and stuff like that. But I get weird things like that. Yes, indeed. And, again, Nathan, I, I do want to invite you back onto the program. We definitely have ran the the time down here on the program but again i i definitely have to invite you again very very soon here and we'll get into all these things we we missed out on here tonight yeah well i appreciate you let me uh you know kind of just explain my story um and getting you know that clarified but you know like i said i have a lot of information that uh we can go into i mean we can go really far down the rabbit oh, yes. hole if you want and talk about a lot of things. So. No doubt, and and we'll do it again very, very soon. Uh, Nathan, any final words before I cut you loose here? Yeah, uh, my final word is uh, this quick little channeling message that was given to me, and I use this on a regular basis, and, um, and it goes, a cause without purpose leads to results that will not make a difference. Fantastic. It's pretty deep, but it has yes. a lot of meaning. It really does. Uh, Nathan, again, thank you so much, and I'll talk to you very, very shortly here. All right. Well, thank you so much, Michael, and I appreciate everybody taking the time to listen to my story. And if you have any questions, I'm here to help answer anything. Fantastic. All right, Nathan, take care and good night. All right. Good night. And there he goes. My goodness, what a guest. And, of course, I do want to show respect to our international listeners out there. Of course, the U.K. is still on top. How did that happen? I have no clue. 
I also want to give a little shout out to lgab.com. Amazing. Thank you, King Barther, for your contributions. You are a true patriot. Of course, the folks over at Paranormal Forum and the Fringe FM. Great, great folks. And of course, if you are listening to this on a replay, keep in mind, we are live every Saturday at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Time on the TuneIn Radio app. Search end of days and you'll find this little program. And of course, if you enjoy the show and want to help fund the program, go to michaeldeacon.com, hit that donate button there, and we'll be fine. I'm Michael Deacon. Thank you for listening. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. You are looking at a remarkable idea, an idea that has intrigued and attracted and literally thrilled thousands upon thousands of men, women, and children. And you, my friends, are about to witness this idea become a reality. For this is the story of the miracle sea in the desert. The freedom of speech is being taken. Say it, sell it. Anything you practice, you'll get good at And welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael, and I'm a mere figment of your imagination. I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. First time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a very different kind of show, a place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Live and direct right now on the TuneIn Radio app. Search End of Days and you'll find the 24-7 network or go to michaeldeacon.com for any episode you might have missed. My guest today on this very special Afternoon Delight edition of the Michael Deacon program is Michael Shermer. Dr. Michael Shermer is the founding publisher of Skeptic Magazine, a monthly columnist for Scientific American and a presidential fellow at Chapman University where he teaches Skepticism 101. He is the author of New York Times bestsellers, Why People Believe Weird Things, and The Believing Brain, Why Darwin Matters, The Science of Good and Evil, The Moral Arc. His new book is Heavens on Earth, The Scientific Search for the Afterlife, Immortality, and Utopia, Michael regularly contributes opinion, editorials, essays, and reviews to the Wall Street Journal, the Los Angeles Times, Science, Nature, and other publications. Once again, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again. Hello, boys and girls. Thank you to those listening here in America and those who listen outside of America. Thank you so much for your great support. Now, let's get right to him right now. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Thank you. 
Very good, and I'm so glad you're finally here, Michael. It's taken such a long time to bring you onto the program. Oh, it did? I didn't realize that. Okay, well, here I am. <laughs> oh, no doubt. Well, I meant in in a way I've been... Yeah, no, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I've been meaning to reach out to you, in, in other words, but... Yeah, no problem. For sure. So so how are you, Michael? Everything's good out there on your side of the woods. Uh, well, I'm in California. I think you said you're in California, right? Oh, yeah. I'm, well, I'm out here in the desert in El Centro. It's very, very hot. You don't want to be out here. Oh, you're in El Centro. Oh, man. It's a death yeah. trap. Yeah, no, I'm in Santa Barbara. It's a little slice of paradise here. Oh, my God. If it gets above 80, we're, uh, they basically shut the city down and everyone goes to the beach. I know. I'm so jealous. My home away from home, right where you're at. And, uh, Michael, I have to say, I've enjoyed... Your endless appearances in the media, of course, all your fantastic TED Talks that you've done, and your books are incredible, in my opinion. Well, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, no doubt. And before we jump into all sorts of topics here, can you tell the audience just a little bit about yourself, Michael? Oh, well, I'm the publisher of Skeptic Magazine and, and the director of the Skeptic Society. We're a 501c3 nonprofit science education organization, and we investigate any and all claims that science can have something to say about. Um, that's my normal day job. Then on the side, I write a monthly column for Scientific American, 211 consecutive months. And I'm a professor at Chapman University in Southern California, City of Orange, uh, where I teach one day a week a class called Skepticism 101, How to Think Like a Scientist. So science is my thing. I write science books. The latest is Heavens on Earth, but the scientific search for the afterlife immortality utopia. My previous book was The Moral Arc, um, which had to do with moral progress. So that's kind of the, the, the long and the short of it. No doubt. And I do like to go to the roots with all my guests that I bring on here. And uh, Michael, I must say, how old were you exactly when you first started to question religion? Was it uh, a parent or who was it exactly? Oh, well, I wasn't raised religious. My my folks were just not religious. They weren't secular or atheist or anything. Like, they weren't anything. Uh, they never went to college or anything like that. So it was just a... A, uh, a, you might call a religious neutral home. And in the early seventies, when I was in high school, the uh, kind of nascent born again movement was afoot in America and it swept through our community, Southern California. I was raised in La Crescenta area and, uh, sort of a suburb of Los Angeles. And, and the, the whole Jesus movement was non-denominational. It wasn't affiliated with any particular religion at all. It was just, um, a movement to read the Bible and kind of understand what God wanted for us and so on. But it was definitely Christian in terms of accepting Jesus as your Savior and all that. So I got into that uh, in 1971, and I was a born-again evangelical Christian for um, seven years or so. I went to uh, college from high school to Pepperdine University, which is a Church of Christ school in Malibu, and and I took courses in the Old Testament and the New Testament and the life of Jesus and the writings of C.S. Lewis and went to chapel two days a week, although that was required. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I was totally into it. I, I would witness door to door because that's what you're supposed to do as an evangelical. And, um, ultimately I wanted to be a college professor. And to do that, you have to have a PhD and have a PhD in theology. You have to, at least at the time, master Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, and Latin, and I could barely get through Spanish, so I realized my <laughs> my skill set was not conducive to that. So. Not up to par. <laughs> yeah, I 
I switched to um, psychology. I was interested in that uh, also, and that introduced me to the scientific method. And in graduate school, I got um, you know a lot of scientific training, and and also in graduate school, I wasn't surrounded by believers. And at the time, you know, atheism wasn't a thing at all. No one ever really talked about God or religion or anything like that. It just wasn't a thing. And I just dropped my faith. Uh, I just the problem of evil was substantial for me. I didn't think that. Christians had a good, or you know, theologians had a good answer for the problem of evil. Michael, I, I can't believe you turned your back on God. <laughs> I did. How dare you? Well, I turned my back. I just stopped believing that. Uh, I'm still here. My back is still here. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yes. you know, if God wants to provide proof or whatever, uh, maybe I'll find out in the next life. If there is one, that's fine. I'm, I'm not closed to the idea. No it's doubt. Just, uh, that, that's I, what I like about you, Michael, that you are... In in some ways, a little open-minded, more so than some skeptics out there. And, you know, Michael, I've, I've had my share of experiences that were very unusual that I can't really explain myself. But, you know, I don't really go around thinking that science can't fully explain some of the things that I've experienced. That's right. We can explain a lot. And, and the more science advances, the more we can explain. But, of course, the... Uh, we don't know what we don't know, so there's a lot um, that we have to stay open-minded about just because we don't know what we don't know. And in my case, I tend to just say it's okay to say I don't know and leave it at that. You don't have to construct a whole worldview involving the supernatural and the paranormal and things outside of nature, and you can just leave it at that. My latest column, by the way, in Scientific American is on this very subject. It's called um, – it has to do with the Mysterians. The Mysterians are people that believe that there are certain mysteries that can never be explained. And I put three into that category, consciousness, free will, and God. And Absolutely. It, and, and it's not that I'm saying we just don't know yet, but you know, someday we'll figure it out. I think ultimately – the way the problems are presented, the mysteries are presented, make them insoluble. Uh, for example, consciousness, so-called hard problem of consciousness, that, that is what it's like to be something else or what it's like to be yourself. It, and the problem is, is how, how would I know what it's like to be you? Or in the more famous uh, thought experiment by um, Thomas Nagel, what's it like to be a bat? You, Correct, you can't yeah. possibly know what it's like to be a bat. You'd have to have sonar and all the neural equipment to run it and huge ears and, and the sound system and wings and so on. At some point, if you bolted all those onto your body and brain, you would just be a bat. You would not be a human wondering now knowing what it's like to be a bat. And same thing, I can't know what it's like to be you or vice versa because – and the problem is that it's yeah, well, based you, on this false yeah, premise that – Sure. Based on this false premise, there's a, there's a little homunculus inside your head looking at the screen that you, <laughs> you see and that I can – my little homunculus can leap out of my skull into your skull and see what you're looking at. Right. And that, that's not at all what it's like. Yeah, I was, I was just going to add that we do not see through each other's eyes, so we can't really know what one is perceiving – and, you know, I could go in through all sorts of examples of this, but we, that might cause me some trouble here. So I, I won't mention that, but <laughs> yeah, see, now you want to know. I, I'll, I'll tell you off air what I'm talking about. I, I just don't want to further upset uh, the audience here. And one of those things I can say, however, is when I brought in uh, Lawrence Krauss here on the program, my audience was not very happy. Lots of them are full believers of, of many of these things that we'll be talking about. A lot of the things that you cover in your book, uh, Heavens on Earth, which is a fascinating book. Uh, well done, Michael. I just, I, re I read that whole thing 
Very, very quickly, I was surprised. Oh, thank you. You're the one. Okay. Wow. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it was a really good book. And, um, well, it's an interesting topic. I think everybody's considered it. Anyone who's conscious and self-aware, you know, that, well, maybe this will all come to an end. And as you know, I start off with the, the problem that we, we can't actually envision what it's like not to be alive because to envision anything, you have to be alive. Correct. So that sets up something of a paradox. Indeed. And going, going back to, just being a skeptic, um, have you personally faced any sort of attack since you're so out there, Michael? And I asked uh, Lawrence the same thing. Um, talking about religion, politics, uh, it can be very dangerous. It's something that gets uh, the people really talking. Um, less so from religious people, more so from political people. When I pu- when I comment publicly on anything, my column in Scientific American has a million readers, so I, g- I get a lot of feedback. Most religious people I find are pretty respectful. They're nice. Um, even when I completely disagree with them, they you know they listen. Um, when I talk about politics, you know, whatever the position is, pro-choice, pro-life, pro-gun control, less gun control, whatever, uh, the other side uh, is pretty vicious. I mean, uh, politics, I think, brings out the worst in people more than religion. They say you shouldn't talk about politics and religion at dinner. Right. I find, I find, I find religions okay if you're respectful. I find it more difficult for people to talk about politics, no matter how respectful you are about it, uh, without getting upset. Uh, maybe it's the climate that we live in now. I don't know. Things are more sensitive. Uh, perhaps. I don't know. But, um, it's an I, interesting... I've never had death threats, for example. Okay. I mean, good. Some, good. Some people get death threats. I've never had a death threat. Um, you know, but I don't go after Islam, for example, that can bring down a lot of hate on your head. I don't discuss Islam much at all. And, uh, and the people I criticize, you know, it's mostly like theologians or something, which are nicest people in the world, even if you disagree with them. So that's not likely to bring down a lot of scorn on my head. And, um, in regards to politics, it's almost in the last couple of years, we've seen politics almost becoming uh, the new religion for some of the individuals out there. I think so, yes, particularly on the left. Um, it's become kind of a secular religion in which you're – well, what we're looking at here is deep moral values by which people define themselves. And when your deep moral values or foundational values are challenged, you naturally you know, want to circle the wagons, put up the walls, and defend yourself. That's that's normal human psychology. Uh, and I think it's it's made worse – by the increased polarization of politics since the 90s. We know, for example, from polling surveys that the center has shrunk. That is the independent voters, people in the center, people, the undecided voters. That percent has gotten smaller while the two ends, far left and far right, have gotten larger just in terms of how people self-identify. So that in part leads to the explanation of why we see such polarization. I think talk radio, um, Fox News, uh, you know, whatever, just take your pick. You know, they, they tend to, um, demonize the other side. So it's not, it's just, it's not just that the other side is wrong. They're, they're immoral. They're evil for believing whatever it is they believe. And that's what leads people to dial up their moral modules to 11 and get, uh, outraged by whatever somebody is saying. Yeah. People get very aggressive when it comes to uh, politics. We've been seeing this more and more throughout the years, but I must admit, Michael, it, it has been completely fascinating and entertaining the last 10 years or so in politics. It has, yes. Well, our first black president uh, was certainly a bit of moral progress, in my opinion. 
Um, and, you know, a lot of people on the left feel that Trump was a huge step back. We'll see. Uh, I, I think it's, it's not over. It's not over. It's not over. The test of our checks and balances in our constitution that, uh, you know, things will keep rolling along. I'm, I'm pretty confident that in, in, in 2020 or 2024, whenever he's gone and the next one's in that, you know, we'll still be here. Things will still be cruising along pretty well. I could be wrong, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reasonably confident we have enough checks and balances there to keep the ship afloat. And by the way, Michael, I'm not a Republican or a Democrat or any of these things. I'm not accepted by any of those sides, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I, I really dislike uh, most political parties out there, to be honest with you. Most of them lie and deceive, and you know how that game goes. Yep, it's it's troublesome. I'm, I'm currently calling myself a classical liberal. Uh, in the the sense that the founding fathers had people like Jefferson and Madison and Hamilton, you know, that believe in certain basic uh, rights and small government and self-reliance and personal responsibility and these sorts of things. Not uh, I used to call myself a libertarian, but libertarianism oh. is too. Yeah, that's my little one. Oh my goodness. A little two-year-old guy, yeah, yeah. He, I'm going to keep my, that in, by the way. That was that that's was awesome. Okay. No, that, that's all good. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, so there, you know, I'm more of an issues person, you know, like yeah, no I'm, doubt. I'm pro, I'm pro choice, for example, but barely, you know, I think an abortion is taking a human life. It is, um, it's not murder because it's not a legal person yet, but it is killing. And I, we should acknowledge that in the same way that we acknowledge capital punishment is killing or just war is killing. You know, there, there are circumstances in life in, in society where we've decided it's legal to take another life. And at the moment, abortion is one of those. And I, I think as an option for reproductive choices, it's, it's good to have for uh, uh, women's rights um, of controlling their own reproductive rights, but exactly, not, not yes. frivolously so. I think, you know, it, it's the kind of thing that should be taken very seriously. And yeah. I'm glad so you mentioned I just, that. You just take an issue by issue. I mean, some conservatives would look at me and go, yeah, yeah, that guy's a conservative because, you know, small government, lower taxes, personal responsibility. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, if I say, well, we need some gun control and I'm barely pro-choice and then wait a minute. So the labels, conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, they're too loaded. Very much so. Very much so. I, I hate to label myself even, Michael. And I'm right. sure you're the same way. Yep. Exactly right. Yep. So labels are... Labels are problematic. Yeah, and by the way, I'm glad you brought up abortion. We won't get too too far into that, but that seems to be a topic of discussion that has gone away. That hasn't really been the main driving focus of what we see. Uh, we see, and I, I guess you could see the say the the mainstream media. We we don't see that sort of topic being pushed right now. Uh, more, I think it'll come back now because so? uh, with um, uh, the Supreme Court just. This Kennedy announcing today that he's going to retire at the end of July, and then Trump's going to appoint another probably um, traditionalist, uh, originalist constitutional um, justice uh, that that could that could swing a vote if the Roe v. Wade uh, case came up for challenge. It would have to go through several courts and on appeal, end up at the Supreme Court. And if it did, it's possible it could go. It could be repealed five to four, which would just mean returning. Abortion rights to states to decide, not not the federal government. Um, so it's it, anyway, it's it, it, could, it could be back in the news. Yeah, we'll see what happens. And by the way, that reminds me, uh, Ben Shapiro has been all over the place, and he was just talking about something like uh, very much like this. If 
if I recall correctly, just today on television. And matter of fact, you were on his show not that long ago. I was, yeah. Ben's an interesting guy. He's I was. He's a very interesting guy. He seems a little wound up too tight at times. Yeah, he's got a lot of energy. <laughs> he's a young guy. He's only 34 years old. Yeah, he's super <laughs> and, young. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really do. Yeah, I really do like him, but yeah, he's very entertaining. Um, I like his energy, but sometimes I feel perhaps he's kind of complicating something that doesn't really need to be complicated too much. It could be. Yeah. It depends you know on what I'm talking topic. about, right? Yeah. Uh, y- oh, yes. He, uh, well, you know, all these public intellectuals, um, who are commenting daily on, uh, political events, they, they have to fill hours of time, uh, hours of airtime. That's true. Uh, and that's why, you know, sometimes when you, when people pick, uh, um, excerpts from something Rush Limbaugh said or Hannity said or something, it's like, particularly on radio, you know, these guys have three or four hours a day to fill. They're that's bound true. to something that, you know, they misspoke or whatever. Yes. And, and, uh, you know, it's, we have to remember this is, it's entertainment first. They have to sell commercials. And, yeah, uh, it's, it's the advertising, the yeah, it's the advertising business. So I, I do wonder sometimes when, when when they say something, do they really mean that, or is that just part of the uh, you know driving up the clicks? Oh yes, of course. Yeah, there, there's different things people say public uh, publicly than they do uh, privately, as you know, Michael. Yep, that's right. Yeah, so you know, I'm I'm glad that you're aware of that sort of issue because I tell lots of people out there that uh oh, we have a, a four fifteen. Going on out there. There we go, my little bit of a battle. That's okay. My wife's taking my little guy out now. He's upset. He wants to play with me. <laughs> a four fifteen is a fight, by the way. Oh, for, for those who oh, don't know. Okay. okay, I didn't know that. <laughs> Code talk there. Cop talk for okay. for the the police out there who listen in. My God, how scary. Yeah. But yes, uh, Ben Shapiro. I do like him. A very intellectual individual. Um, some of the things he was telling you on his program, well. Not quite sure what that was all about, but. Oh, on the Messiah stuff. Yeah. You know, I'm glad, yeah. you, Michael, yeah. I'm glad you're I, picking I up on. Up because <laughs> a lot of, uh, Christians and theologians argue the case for Jesus as not only a real person, but also son of God, crucified, resurrected, and so on. Uh, if, if the evidence was so good, why, why don't Jews accept him? I mean, they accept right. the same God, the God of Abraham, Yahweh, and they accept Jesus is a real person. Why don't they accept, and that he was crucified, because Romans crucified everybody, that's no surprise, but that he was resurrected, okay? So if the, if the evidence for this is so good, why don't Jews accept it? That was my, my question for Ben. And that's what I was alluding to, and you picked up immediately on that. I'm glad you have that intuition there, Michael. Well, um, it's a good question. Uh, I, I ask for your listeners. If they're Christian, they accept, if you, if your listeners accept Jesus as the Savior because he was resurrected, then, and you think the evidence is, I mean, if it's one, it's one thing if you say, well, this is just an article of faith for me. It's what I believe is part of my religion. I, I'm not claiming I can prove it. Okay, fine. But if you say, look, it, it really happened. It's really true. And we have evidence for it. Then why don't Jews accept it? Cause, you know, the Jewish faith is, you know, it's filled with people that are exceptionally smart, well-read, deeply ensconced in the Bible, and so on. They and they don't accept Jesus as the Savior. So why not? Correct. And when you were going into evolution with him, I'm surprised he didn't bring up the classic "Were you there?" line. I was only waiting. Oh for that. yeah, 
Yeah, I don't think Ben goes, I don't think he's a young earth creationist at all. And that would be a complete rejection of science because, you know, much of science is not, um, empirical lab experiments that you can see. Much of it is historical. Right. Historical geology, for example, cosmology, astronomy, archaeology, paleontology, historical geology. I think I mentioned these, these are all things that already happened, but you can infer. From the past, in, in the same way we know the Civil War happened, we know the Holocaust happened, and so on. How do you know? Well, because we have techniques of analyzing evidence from that. And anyway, so that's that, that that's right. We 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 don't have to have been there to see the creation to know what happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I like to joke around with different people out there and kind of twist this one up every now and then. But I give the example of um, I wasn't there when the Titanic sunk, but you know. <laughs> Right. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I like to yeah, I like to throw that one in there for a joke. But it's still there at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> That's right. And uh, Michael, you talk a lot uh, about various things that I talk about on on a daily basis here when I do this program in your book Heavens on Earth. And uh, one of the things I did want to mention in regards to UFOs and abductions and things people uh, claim to have seen, um lots of people out there make this claim and it makes me think i wonder what truly is causing this sort of phenomenon because i I can't just think well all these people are just crazy there's got to be something more to it what are you you're talking about near-death experiences no well in terms of ufos and abductions oh ufos and that kind of stuff right now yeah uh no the the people that experience these things um they're not crazy no Uh, um and but we have to take them case by case. We should distinguish between UFO sightings. I've had them. Almost everybody's seen something in the sky they can't explain. Right. Sure. Uh, versus alien abduction experiences, which almost always happen at night when the person's asleep. This is called sleep paralysis. You wake up and you feel like you can't move, like you're paralyzed. And in part, it's because you're in this kind of uh, waking dream state in which your body is still super uh, relaxed because that you know, your brain basically shuts your body down so you don't sleepwalk when you're sleeping. And so the, when you're lying prone on your back there on a soft mattress, it kind of feels like you're floating or flying or or and you can't move. That that that's normal. Uh, what alien abductions abductees experience is something else called sleep paralysis in which they also have a sense presence that somebody's in the room with them. Now, these used to be described in Middle Ages and early modern period as as demonic forces. These were succubi and succubi harassing people in their beds at night. It was Satan at work. And this was considered evidence for Satan or uh, for demonic possession and so forth. Uh, Now, you know, in the 20th century, it became alien abductions because the brain experiences that people have uh, are are real. And what you call it or how you describe it or the narrative that you write about it or talk about it is uh, very much influenced by the culture in which you're raised. So we don't live in a demon-haunted world like people did in the Middle Ages. We live in an alien-haunted world you know, of science fiction and Star Wars and Star Trek and and real space exploration and, and so on. And the aliens used to look like all different kinds of shapes and sizes. But after television and films started to um, coalesce around a certain alien archetype, you know, large head, emaciated body, almond-shaped eyes, and no ears, and, and so on, um, then they all started to look like that. So that tells us that these are people having uh, weird dreams and they're inculcating into their memories and their minds, their imaginations, images from pop culture. Right. 
And lots of people out there for sure wholeheartedly believe what they're experiencing is real. And perhaps, oh, sure. it, yeah, perhaps sure. it is I, real I say, in their I minds. Tell, I, I'm fond of saying the experiences people have are real. The question is what, what do they represent? Correct. Yes. And uh, furthermore, I must say here in 2018, there are individuals out there who believe in the flat earth. Can you believe that, Mr. Schrimmer? <laughs> that really is hard to believe. Holy hell. I mean, some of, most of it is just clickbait stuff just for fun. I think there's a few people that really believe it. Um, it's readily debunked. Uh, we have, go to skeptic.com and type in flat earth. We have a whole thorough, um, debunking of, you know, just claim by claim. Here's what the flat earthers say. Here's why we know they're wrong. And that's, that's the way to handle it, I think. And by the way, we, we really know the earth is spherical for, for thousands of years. When Columbus sailed, he didn't think the earth was flat. He, he they all knew it was round. It, the only thing he's, the question yes. was, is how big is it? That's actually the litmus test that I use here on the program when I'm talking to several guests. What's that? I say, do you believe in the flat earth theory? Uh, okay. <laughs> right. That's the, that's the, the that's great the litmus, litmus test right. here. Yes. You got to remember that one, Michael. Pull that one up every now and then. Okay. Keep that one in your back pocket. And, um, furthermore to add just quickly here, can you believe that there's actually conventions for uh, the flat earth theory? Um, what do you mean? There's actually conventions set up around the world for, for this sort of thing where. Oh, conventions. Yes. Yeah. yes sorry. Uh, it, it, yeah. Like in people gathering. Yeah. Right. Oh, I know. I know there was one wow. held just recently, uh, that, that I'm afraid I missed. You should have gone <laughs> and gave a little, yeah. little lecture there. That would have been great. Um, well, they didn't invite me and they're not likely to invite me, but you know, they, they really need someone just a round earther. A round earther. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, to wrap up the whole UFO abduction thing, um, I, I've interviewed lots of individuals here who claim to have been abducted, Michael. And many of them tell me that they've communicated with these entities telepathically. And some of the messages that they've received, uh, to me, it, they come across very Eastern traditional. And you kind of talk a little bit about that in your book as well. Um, it, it always seems like save the planet and be good to each other. And it, it's kind of like common sense. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Love one another. Yeah. That yeah. sort of thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Very <laughs> new age. Oh, I know. Yeah. So the, the messages people get from psychics and astrologers and aliens and so on, they're always these sort of mundane generalities. You know, if, if only a psychic would have told us, you know, where is Osama bin Laden hiding? Which cave is he in so we can go get him? You know, they're, they're, they're fond of telling us the love life of Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt, but but they and they know great details about celebrities, but they they can't seem to find like where where the North Koreans are hiding their nukes. Uh, you know, they, they can't seem to right. get that information. Yes, isn't that odd? Well, it's not odd because it's, it's baloney because <laughs> they can't actually do anything. Uh, but yeah, that, that would be a, a litmus test. Well, that, that would be my litmus test. Tell me yes. where the North Koreans are hiding their nukes. <laughs> well, and, well, Michael, you, you gotta admit, um, Dennis Rodman did save the planet once again. That's right. Yeah. Well, my, my, my one thing about Dennis Rodman is he <laughs> lives in Los Angeles. So, which is where I'm at here in Southern California. So I figured. If, uh, you know, Kim Jong-un and him are, are buddies, maybe the North Koreans won't nuke LA and I'll be okay. <laughs> I know that, that's a positive. Yep, totally. Now we only have to worry about earthquakes out here. That's it. Yep. Earthquakes and fires and floods. 
Right. And Michael, by the way, before I forget, do you have anything new coming out? Any new, uh, books in the works? Um, well, I'm trying to decide what to write next. You know, the heavens on earth was my 13th book. And, uh, so I'm just kind of ruminating on what I should write next. My next big project will probably be television series based on the moral arc. It's something I'm working on now, a script for that, uh, four part, five part, perhaps one hour each documentary series, um, for national television, basically tracking moral progress, how, how things have been getting better. I think it's important to, to remember that what life used to be like a thousand years ago, 500 years ago, even a hundred years ago or 50 years ago of how much better it is now than it's ever been. I mean, just think of the dentistry or the medicine a thousand years ago or 500 years ago or how many people died violently centuries ago or what, you know, we, we bemoan the, you know, the slightest racist tweet by a drunken celebrity at two in the morning like Roseanne and, and, and everybody loses their minds. Well, just think of how people used to talk about blacks and Jews and women, say, 50 years ago or 100 years ago. And, you know, it's, it's, things are so much better today, even though it's not True. perfect. Uh, you know, so that's my next project, I think, is to really try to bring that home to people. To yeah, remember. let's talk a little bit about society right now. Um, where exactly do you see things going, Michael? Do you think perhaps society has dropped a few IQ points over the past couple of years? No, actually, well, there's two, two ways to think about this. First, there is something called the Flynn effect. Uh, James Flynn is a psychologist from New Zealand who discovered his eponymous effect by looking at IQ scores over the last century. And basically the test companies that make these IQ tests, they've had to renorm them about every decade or so because people are getting better at these tests. Now, it's not the portions of the test that you can study for, like vocabulary or, or algebra or something like that. These are the um, sort of symbolic or abstract reasoning portions of the test. And IQ scores have been going up about three points every decade. So that's a, that's a, you know, in, in, the, in terms of a, that's a step forward a, of a century, that's Q points. That's two standard deviations. That would put, you know, put you or I, if we were at a hundred, it, it jumped to 130, that would put us at the, you know, sort of above sort of Harvard level student IQ. Um, and, and that's the average. So there's something going on there that no one knows for sure, but we think it has to do with the entire culture shifting from agriculture to industry to now digital and information and that we're getting better at abstract reasoning. Just just think of like kids playing video games. You know, they're manipulating symbols and, and they're doing a lot of abstract reasoning in their head just to navigate these games. And that, you know, in general, just people surfing the Internet and so on, all that requires a lot of rapid, um, uh, sort of, you know, symbolic type, type thinking. So there is that. The, the other aspect is, is, uh, what makes it seem worse is social media. You know, it's sort of the dumbing down of, of America. It, if you, if you, if you're on social media, it certainly seems like you know, things are dumb and getting dumber. Um, but, but in fact, it's just a tool like a printing press. It's well, that's just, just a, a, by the way, that's just a, a small percentage of the pie. I think so. Yeah. Yes, I, I, I do. I mean, the New York Times is still around. The Wall Street Journal is still around. They have fact checkers. They have editors. You know, the, the, the writing is high quality. The research, the fact checking is there. Um, you know, mainstream media is still pretty good. The big boys. Um, you know, and, and if you think one's more biased than the other, well, you know, they just, just read the other one then. Or, That's right. 
read, or read both of them. So, um, but in, in, in the general, um, take home, I think is follow the trend lines, not the headlines. If you just watch the headlines every night, it seems like things are bad and getting worse. If you follow the trend lines, like I mentioned earlier, last 50 years, 100 years, 500 years, you know, things are much, much better. I mean, that, you know, everyone talks about Kim Jong-un. He's like the only dictator. Well, maybe there's one or two others. Uh, dictator in the world, you know, uh, but, but a hundred years ago, you know, every other political leader was a dictator like Kim Jong-un and that the American democratic model was very rare. Now there's about a hundred and I think last count was 122 liberal democracies in, in the world. There used to be you know, 50 years ago, just like a dozen. So, you know, that kind of thing is getting much better. By the way, there's been lots of debate over Gun control. We, we've seen countless school shootings, uh, just this year and last year alone. What are your opinions on all of that? Why are these things occurring so often? Yeah. I used to be against gun control because I was a libertarian freedom guy. You know, people let people do whatever they want. I think we need some controls. I mean, obviously we don't already don't allow people to have guided missiles and, right. and surface to air missiles and nuclear weapons and things like that. So we already do have uh, gun controls and, and you know, you cannot legally own a machine gun, for example. That's been illegal since the 1930s when the mob started using them and, and even conservatives and hardcore NRA supporters will say, yeah, yeah, no machine guns. You know, so obviously we, it, the question is where do we draw the line. And in terms of school shootings, uh, there's nothing anyone has proposed that will have any effect on on that, on school shootings, because they're they're so random. I mean, it seems like they're in the news a lot, um, but of course, no one sends a camera crew to an elementary school and, and reports that, you know, yet another day without a school shooting, we'll be back tomorrow. No, we only rush to the ones where uh, there are school shootings. So it seems like they're much worse than they are. And of course, compared to say 50 years ago, yes, there's more school shootings. Part of the problem is the naming and identifying and showing the picture of the, um, the perpetrator. And that's a bad idea. I think the media, the media already has protocols about not, uh, giving the names of say, uh, children who have been molested. They don't show their pictures. They blur them out or they don't give their names. Rape victims, for example, they protect their identity. We already do that uh, for good reasons, and we should do that with the school shooters because every one of them now says, I wanted to beat the other guys and kill more kids yeah. than they had killed. So that's that's a better solution than, say, some of these gun control measures, right. which will have no effect on school shootings. Now, what they could do is help reduce the carnage, the overall numbers of things like domestic violence shootings. Like most women that are killed – are killed by an intimate partner and usually and more often than not with a gun. And so violence in intimate partnerships when the guy already has a restraining order, there are laws about that. If you have a restraining order, you cannot buy a gun. So we need to, you know, enforce laws like that that are already in place. Um, and, you know, so background checks for, you know, people that are mentally ill. Yes, they should not have a gun. Uh, and just enforcing those sorts of things that are already on the books, I think would help. I, in terms of the overall carnage, you know, 20,000 people a year or so. And, and no, no, it's less, it's about 30,000 total. But if you take suicides out of it, because we're just talking about homicides and school shootings and things like that, it's down to less than 20,000 a year. If you could, we're not going to reduce that greatly with gun control measures because there are already over 300 million guns in America. So even if we stopped all production tomorrow, 
there's still 300 million guns floating around. Actually, more than that. And and so if somebody wants a gun because they want they're to get one. somebody, they're going to get a gun. Yeah, people and, get what you know, they we're want. A, we're a country of of civil liberties and rights, and we're not going to become Nazi Germany where you go door to door and take every gun away. If if anyone attempted to do that, any government agency attempted to take people's guns away, we're going to have a Waco every weekend. You know, and that's just, that's intolerable. So I really don't have a good solution to the, you know, the mass homicide problem that we, we are facing compared to other countries. Uh, I, there's just no solution. There's no good solution. Right. There really isn't no one good answer. Just like there is for everything out there. There, there always seems to be a magnitude of how to answer each solution out there. And one of the things you reminded me of is Anthony Bourdain. By the way, we, we've seen a string of celebrity suicides. Yeah, so I have a uh, an article I'm researching now for Scientific American on why people kill themselves, and we don't know. <laughs> I mean, I've talked to the world's leading experts on psychologists that study suicide. This is what they do, and they say, we don't know. Even – this is the free thing – the people themselves who commit suicide and, and, and then they survive, they didn't know they were going to do it. Like that, they got up that morning and just like, okay, today is the day. And it's not like something they were planning that was predictable. I mean, obviously depression is a big part of it, but, but lots of people suffer from depression and never kill themselves or even try to. So even as a predictor, severe depression is not very good. And beyond that, you know, too much money, not enough money. Uh, you know, oh, we worked in the TV industry. It's so shallow. No, this has nothing. This is completely meaningless explanations for any of these uh, people. And I, I tend uh, to believe you know, so. I tend to believe so. And, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but the whole conspiracy angle surrounding his death has just been uh, oh yeah, that's wildfire. crazy. Hillary, Hillary did it. Yeah. yeah. So you don't you don't believe the conspiracy theories, Michael? That <laughs> he was about to expose uh, that he was whacked. Gate. Yeah, he was about to expose elite pedophiles. <laughs> right. You're not buying that. No, not buying it. No, not buying no. it. I'm not a Hillary fan, but she's not a mass murderer. I, I, you know, the I heard that almost immediately after his death. I knew people were just so into this and they were emailing me and texting me. Did you hear so-and-so Hillary did? I'm I'm just like, Oh my God. Yep. It doesn't take long for any of these things to not everything is a conspiracy, by the way, for those out there listening, they're, they're perfectly great explanations for a lot of these things out there. And some people just have these uh, blind spots in their logic. Well, it's true. The problem with conspiracy theories, I've written a lot about this. It's a pretty interesting topic is this is not like, you know, ESP, paranormal, perpetual motion machines. You know, they can't be true. Uh, conspiracies do happen. Uh, I mean, you know, Watergate was conspiracy. Right. Lincoln was assassinated yeah, by a These conspiracy. things do happen, but not they do there's happen. some people that they really do believe that everything is a conspiracy. And for, right. maybe, maybe perhaps for them, this is their flat earth. In a way, yes. In, in in part, it's there's a lot of psychological research on conspiracy theory believers. That is, they right. they tend to think that first of all, they tend to be people not in power, so they always think somebody else has the power that I don't have, and corporations, government agencies, things like that. Uh, that when you actually get on the inside and you work there and see how the sausages are made, you realize, okay, these people they're incompetent. They don't know what they're doing. They can't run the world. Uh, that's just not how the world works. But we have this uh, notion that. That 
you know, that nothing happens by chance. So our intuitions are very poor at understanding the law of large numbers, probabilities, statistics, randomness. You know, much of what happens in the world is random, random to our minds. We just can't know why things happen. So it's hard to grasp that, you know, like what, what, why gas prices go up or down, why the economy is sound or it's not. You know, these things have a life of their own that no one really can control. Uh, and so we, but, but, but when it affects the person, we feel like, well, I can't control this. I don't have any power. Somebody else is doing it. So everything happens for a reason is a very common explanation. No, no, no. Most things happen for no reason at all. It's just randomness. And, uh, you know, it's like simple statistical, um, examples are like hot hands in basketball. You know, uh, you know, we see, we tend to notice streaks, win, winning streaks, losing streaks, mostly winning streaks, hot hands. And, but statistically, when you crunch the numbers, uh, there's nothing unusual happening there beyond what you'd expect from the random uh, ups and downs of any given complex system like that. And so, but our mind uh, puts patterns on it and thinks there's a pattern there. Right. Our and, minds uh, are, it works almost the same way. Like those who see images in clouds or inanimate objects. Oh my goodness, a dog. Oh yeah, that's uh, my dog Hitch, named after Christopher Hitchens. Ah, like nice. Hitchens, yeah. He's a big chocolate lab here. Yeah, he's protecting us here. So maybe, oh, maybe this is the one, the one person that wants to whack me. <laughs> ah, ha, ha. Yeah, that's uh, anthropomorphizing, right? That's right. To a certain extent, I call this patternicity, the tendency to find meaningful patterns in random noise. Uh, we all do it. You know, the face of Jesus in the tortilla, the bird yes. inside of a building, you know, <laughs> cloud, you know, the dog in the cloud, that kind of thing. You know, we find these patterns. The question is, are they real or not? Now, some patterns are real. Sometimes they're not. That's what we need science for. But generally for conspiracy theories, they're almost never true. Very rare. You know, Princess Di was murdered, whatever. These things are just, you know, just crazy. But people believe them because they're easy. It's easy to put together three or four data points. And you know, how do you explain this, 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 and this? There must be something behind it. No, actually randomness explains it. You know, that That's there's right. always these kind of weird anomalies that happen when you notice it. My favorite example of this is from the JFK assassination when um, there's a, in the Zabruder film, you can see this guy standing there with an umbrella. Uh, on the, the umbrella lawn. man, yes. Yeah, the umbrella man. And it's like, but it was a clear sunny day. Why would he have an umbrella? And it took decades before this guy was found. And he came out and said, I had an umbrella because that was a, a, a sign of protesting the president that goes all the way back to Chamberlain. Um, that prime minister Neville Chamberlain, when he returned from Czechoslovakia meeting with Hitler or uh, meeting with Hitler in, in Berlin over Czechoslovakia and, you know, Defure, he, he promised he would not take another piece of uh, Europe and, and, you know, here's the paper anyway. So Ch- Chamberlain had a, his umbrella there. He's holding his umbrella. So that became a symbol of protesting, um, you know, a, po- a politician. So this guy was out there protesting Kennedy with his umbrella. But, you know, that's conspiracy theorists, you know, they oh, the umbrella was an actually, it was a gun and he was, was the guy gun, that yes. shot Kennedy. And- <laughs> I've heard so many JFK conspiracies. Uh, I'm not surprised by any of them. Lots of good, good information, however, that comes out from that. And we still don't have the full story yet. Um, still well, I, I, there, mm-hmm. I, I think I disagree with you. I think we know Oswald did it and he acted alone. 
you know, the full story, well, of course, there's always things we can't explain. There's lots of things, anomalies around 9-11 that we can't explain. But it, it's a, you know, it's a monumental event. And after, after the fact, you look back and you, and you look for little details you can't explain. But that would be true for anything that happens anywhere in the world on any given day. You know, there's some little weird things associated with it. You can't explain it. What does it mean? Nothing. I can't argue with that. That's, that's, that's a fact there. And one thing I will say about the uh, Clintons, however, if you recall back in Mena, Arkansas, uh, Bill Clinton, he had uh, that whole thing with, with the cocaine smuggling, if you remember. So yeah, conspiracies uh, do, do tend to happen every now and then. I mean, we, it, it's, it's fine to criticize politicians, but don't give them more power than, than, than they actually have. Most politicians can't do anything about the That's economy. Yes. There's very little they can do about other political leaders like Putin or Kim Jong-un. Really, there's very little, uh, any president can do. But we, cause we're on the outside. We're not sitting there in the Oval Office watching, you know, the sausage being made. And it just seems like, you know, they're plotting. What this a crazy gig though, right? Why, why would anyone want to be the president? Why would anyone? I would, I, I, it's my beyond God. Me. You know, first of all, half the country hates you the moment you announce. Exactly. And then half the people in your own party hate you because they want the other guy. Right. And then even when you get elected, you know, it's like almost everybody hates you for something you did. You know, and it's, it's like, so for example, when Clinton didn't intervene in, uh, Rwanda and the genocide happened, you know, he gets blamed for not intervening. So he intervenes in Kosovo during the civil war and then he's blamed for, you know, who do you think you are? The America thinks they're the world's police. You just stay out of other people's business. Well, okay. Which is it? <laughs> you can't <laughs> so, you please know. everyone. That, that's the problem. And to, to wrap up the whole conspiracy angle, there's one more individual out there, uh, by the name of Alex Jones. Any, any opinion on oh, Alex yeah, out Alex there? Alex Jones, yes. He's quite the character. I'm not 100% convinced that he's not just an actor. He's a, he's a gimmick. It's, it's just, uh, you know, performance art. I don't know. Uh, one of the most amusing things, however, I've ever seen is his several hour, uh, performance on, call it that, on uh, the Joe Rogan experience. Joe Rogan is a great guy. He's a friend of mine and I've been on the show four times. And, yeah, I've seen you and, on there. Yeah, and he got Alex. He offered Alex some uh, whiskey, and then they lit up a joint. And That's right. Alex was off and running about the interdimensional alien <laughs> child molesters. Oh my! <laughs> it was really funny. Yeah, he went down that rabbit hole. Indeed, I'm not quite sure what uh, made him go down that route. During that uh, publication there, but that was very interesting to yeah, watch. No, it's troubling that people take him seriously because, you know, things like the Sandy Hook shooting was, you know, orchestrated by the Obama administration and these child actors and on and on and on. I mean, it's just insane that anybody could listen to that and believe it. But then again, a guy showed up at that pizza place thinking that was that Hillary was running a child molestation ring in the back of the pizza joint. Yeah, this can be dangerous for some individuals. Yeah. That's yeah, why I, I brought a gun. Yeah, that yeah, was not good. Th- this is why I I wonder about you sometimes, Michael. I have to say, there's lots of people who get worked up very easily over some of the things that we're discussing. So uh, you're someone who's so out there in the public. I, I could just imagine that perhaps one day someone might go crazy on you. Hopefully not. <laughs> I hope not. Uh, but like even my latest book, Heavens on Earth, you know, if you're a believer, you're, most of your audience, I guess, is uh, Christian. Uh, so I assume they believe in an afterlife. Look, I, no one knows for sure. This is the conclusion of my book. And that in, in a way it doesn't matter uh, because we don't live in the afterlife. We live in this life. We don't live in the hereafter. We live in the here and now. So whether there's an afterlife or not, 
you really should make the most of this life. That is, love the people that uh, you love uh, and cherish every day. You know, make make live every day like this is it. This is the last. This could be the last day I have. I could be smacked by a car tomorrow. Who knows? Exactly. And so I, I better really be super nice to the people I encounter when I'm at the Starbucks or on my dog walk or whatever. You know, just it it, it makes every day meaningful. And if it turns out that you know when I close my eyes the last time here and I wake up and I'm in this other place, whatever that would be. And there's my parents and my friend Stephen Jay Gould and Carl Sagan, Isaac Asimov, and all these people I knew and, and loved and, 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 and admired. And there they are. Well, okay, fine. Uh, you know, but I, 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 I think worrying about it too much is a mistake. You're going to miss out so on, too. on this life. Yeah. And I, I've heard you say that life itself is the reward. And I agree. That, that's right. It's, it's a matter of scale. I call this, uh, Alvy's error. Alvy is Alvy Singer, Woody Allen's character in, in, uh, Annie Hall. Right. Where he has that flashback as a child where he won't do his homework. His mom takes him to the psychiatrist. You know, Alvy, why won't you do your homework? The universe is expanding. The universe is expanding. Yes, the universe is everything that there is. And if it's expanding one day, it's going to blow up. And so none of this matters that, uh, we're doing now. And his mother yells at him, what's the universe got to do with it? We live in Brooklyn. Brooklyn's not expanding. You got to do your homework. And, and that's right. We, you know, we live in a world that's it's not expanding. You know, it's here we are and it's meaningful because we make it meaningful. That's true. And I think lots of people forget about that. Sometimes they're thinking uh, about the afterlife without thinking about the now. That's right. Yeah. Yep. You, you might miss and the in any bigger case, picture. You should be good for goodness sake, not because you think you get to go to heaven or anything like that. None of that. That that's not the reason to be to be good and moral. You should do it for its own sake. Just 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 because that's the right thing to do. Yes, and then of course that brings me back to the whole uh, debate issue. When I've seen I've seen countless debates. I've, I've seen you debate a few people, and I've noticed lots of uh, Christians or, or pastors out there, though. Go back and ask how does one define morality and if you could have such without, uh, without having, you know, the whole Bible, uh, dogma attached to that. Um, we see this all the time and, um, I've, I've had talks with, with different pastors out there and I, I've seen them get very angry once I question why they're driving such a fancy car and everyone else is. <laughs> Right. Yeah, everyone else is driving a beat-up car. I, I ask, why is that? Can you answer that question for me, sir? Um, yeah, they don't like when, that. When did Jesus become a conservative, <laughs> a right. Republican? I mean, does that know, bother you, Michael? Have you ever? Yeah, it does. Have yes, you ever thought course. about that? The, have yeah, you ever seen does. some of these pastors? The amount of money they rake in. It's terrible. Holy I mean, hell. it's embarrassing. I'd be embarrassed if I was a Christian. I mean, I met and spent some time with uh, Rick Warren, uh, you know, of the mega church in, in uh, Irvine. And, you know, he made a gazillion dollars on that book, Purpose Driven Life. Now, I didn't get anything. I read the book. I didn't get anything out of it. It didn't do anything for me. Uh, but he's a super nice guy and he, and he you know, he wears kind of, you know, uh, worn out jeans and a, and an old jacket and, and, you know, he could, he could afford a private jet probably with the money he made on that book. Most but he gets likely. most of it away and, you know, and it's like, yeah, no, and he cares about poor people and hungry people and, you know, people that need, that really need help. And, you know, that to me, the whole prosperity gospel of people like Joel Olstein, it's like, Jesus, <laughs> literally Jesus, you know, what would he say? Uh, I mean, if you read, you know, the, the Sermon on the Mount, I've read all this stuff. I took a whole course in the life of Jesus at Pepperdine. And uh, this is not what it was all about. 
you know, this is the, uh, so I, th- I think a lot of Christians have, have gone off, gone down the wrong path with that. Um, I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong from a sort of a capitalist perspective, nothing wrong with making money, but that's not the point. Yeah, not at all. I don't, I don't see, um, that sort of thing being an issue where, um, you see these people making money off of others' ignorances, but you, it does sort of bother me in a way where it's, they're taking advantage of their own, a flock, as they say. Yep. Well, of course, the you know the, the you know the the prosperity gospel people, the te- the televangelists that are you know raking money from super poor people. You know that's just not not right. Um, but 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 even the prosperity gospel, again, you know that, that's that's not the point of Christianity. I mean, if you want to go to a you know pro capitalist type uh, social group or you know. Something like that, where you, you talk about making money, that's fine. But you don't think of religion as tied up in that. I know. It's quite terrible. And, of course, that really does make people a little upset once they're heavily in into their religion and you tell them that, they, they get very angry with you. Yep. Yep, that's right. So, By the way, have you ever got, got into it with any uh, Scientologist out there? Oh, yes. I know. Uh, some Scientologists, I know some ex-Scientologists, and uh, I've gone to uh, probably a dozen different Scientology offices. I know all about it. Yeah, yeah, it's you know it's something That's a like weird a cult. One. You know, it's something like a cult in the sense that uh, you know they're heavily focused on money, taking you know getting as much money as they can from their members. I have met people that have been helped by them. I met Isaac Hayes, the Famous singer and, uh, South Park voice, uh, the chef on South Park. He famously won a Grammy award for, uh, theme from Shaft. Right, right. Back in the seventies, big mega star and he lost everything. Uh, and then, you know, he was sort of down and out and Scientology got him off drugs and alcohol and he put his life back together and that's when he made his second comeback. He's deceased now, but, um, you know, I met him and asked him what he got out of Scientology and that was it. It's like they helped me. Like, okay, you know, I, I, I never, uh, I'm never bothered by groups of any kind that really help people. Uh, it's, but when it turns to like bilking old people out of money and things like that, uh, people that can't afford it, you know, that to me is immoral. Yeah, that's just wrong. I'm not quite sure how they could sleep at night. Right. Well, they're not being very Christian. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I know, right? That's very anti-Christian. Yep. And Michael, I do want to thank you very much for being a part of the program. I do not want to hold you up for the rest of your day here. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Michael. Yeah, it's been a fun, a fun uh, discussion here. I'm going to have to bring you back on, uh, in due time. We'll do that. All right, Michael. It was fantastic talking to you finally. Uh, go ahead and plug anything you'd like if there's any events perhaps that you'll be lecturing at. Uh, anything of that nature? Oh, well, um, I think um, the easiest thing is my webpage, michaelshermer.com or skeptic.com, where you go to Scientific American and see all my columns there, all 200 of them. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of the best way to access my, my writings and, and what I do. Very nice. Well, Michael, thank you so much. And remember, Jesus does love you still. Okay, well, <laughs> all right. If he's up there uh, watching out for me, just know that, uh, hey, I have an open mind. Uh, I'm open to whatever it is you want to uh, tell me about, or I'll see you in the next life if that's the case. I'm an agnostic atheist, by the way, but I like to, okay. keep, I like to keep Jesus in my back pocket. I see. Yeah, just in case. <laughs> yeah, you never know when you might have to bring him up. That's right. Yes, sir. All, all right, right, Michael. Take care. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was Mr. Michael 
Shermer. Great, great guy. And in conclusion, in my final word here, I must say, it doesn't matter what race or gender you are or what your religious background is, just keep in mind we are all one here. And if you are listening to this, keep in mind every Saturday night at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Time, I'm live right here on the TuneIn Radio app. Just search End of Days and you'll find this program. And if you enjoyed this afternoon's program here, keep in mind, if you want to help, go to michaeldeacon.com and donate a few dollars. I profoundly appreciate it. I'm Michael Deacon. Thank you for listening. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. Oh my! Yeah. <laughs> 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 the Illuminati, and we got going to behind them, but the Illuminati certainly is part of the whole thing. But the top members of the Illuminati are open bush. I could tell that all the mainstream media outlets were. Giving me like bullshit. Like, if you can just see it, it's clear. <laughs> How appropriate. I wish I could be in that ring with Holden right now. It's crazy. I had no idea this shit existed before 726. It's the simplest shit. You go in there, you see the bud tender, you got Nick Barbara, you see many comfortable. I'll bring you lady comfortable. That's what I want. Just for what it's worth, I want to put in my two cents to tell you both that you have From one Stanford. of the most incredibly well rounded shows. Introducing the greatest tag team on the radio. Guess what, motherfucker? Flawless victory.